Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Oh, still a bit to get through from today's news, but footy tinder is back. JK is going to step in. We'll get swiping. And Russell Arnold after an incredible Sri Lankan performance in the second test. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Big few hours to spend with you after eight, of course. Future stars for Bravo Management. Kevin Shifter-Sheehan is going to join myself and Liam Pickering. Uh, give us a wrap of the under-16 carnival that just happened up on the Gold Coast and look ahead to the doubleheader this weekend for the under-18s. Vic Metro and Vic Country both in action um, at GMHBA Stadium. With our bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show back at 830 and then after nine o'clock, I'm going to catch up with Liam Santa Maria, who's over in Las Vegas covering the NBA Summer League and the Aussies and uh, Aussie connected NBL players who are in action trying to win their way onto NBA rosters. And Scott Sattler will join us to set us all up for the Origin Decider Game Three tomorrow night. You'll hear it on SEN Suncorp Stadium. Massive, massive occasion. I love State of Origin. Looking forward to catching up with Scotty Sattler. Russell Arnold to join me at 7.30 as well. Epic scenes for Sri Lanka, winning the second test by 39 runs and innings and 39 runs yesterday against the Aussies. And what a capitulation. But what a moment for Sri Lanka, given everything that's going on in their country. The big news today, of course, Dave Noble parting ways with the North Melbourne Football Club and we've been continuing that chat on for the last hour and Paul and I were bantering back and forth. He's a North Melbourne man. He's been good enough to wait because uh, we weren't able to move the ad break. He's been very, very patient in hanging around to continue a little bit of back and forth. Paul, thanks for holding, brother. Are you crossing the lights? I just heard the light go. I am, I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm out walking the dog, mate. No, nice, um, you know, nice. it's uh, yeah, yeah. So it's just why I can think clearly without being disrupted. Beautiful. So you, we, you and I were just talking, and you, you, you believe that North have done the right thing with Dave Noble. You think the sample size is right. You've compared them to Collingwood, and where they're at with their yep. rebuild. Just on that, so Collingwood yep. played in the grand final four years ago, and still have a lot of players uh, from that grand final on their list. North Melbourne have been nowhere near that, and two years ago cut fourteen players. Oh. Oh, they were going south pretty sharply, weren't they? Yeah. And, and they, 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 they were on the nose. You've got to admit, they were on the nose. And, it, and you know, they, were, they, they, returned, they returned very quickly. And you can see the difference in the craze made to them. And that's my point, is a, is a good coach can make instantaneous differences to a side. And we haven't seen that at all at Northmore. We haven't seen continued improvement from a number of players. It just... Like, give me, give me a couple. Give me someone who's playing out of their skin last year that's improved under Noble. Give me one. Give me one. What was that? Sorry? Give me one player at North Melbourne who has improved dramatically under Noble. I, I would say Luke Davies-Uniac's playing career-best footy. I think Curtis Taylor 
He's he, playing he career best. He was going to do that anyway, given the age. Well, he just, was going to do hey, that you, anyway, you given asked, the age. Paul, you just asked me who I think is improved. Yeah. I well, think he might, has. Yes. Yeah, but do you think that's as a result of where he's at at his age or and, or it's got something to do with Noble? Um, I would say probably maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. I doubt he's, what was he, a pick seven, wasn't he? Uh, yes, he was, top 10. Wait, wait. he was top 10. Uh, and top also, 10. too, Paul, exactly. I mean, the, 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 the fact that you haven't had – I think you're making a lot of valid points. I think it's a bit harsh, and I don't agree with that 38 games is a, is a good oh. enough sample size to know. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's yeah. a few other I'm, things. I'm adamant it is. No, and fair enough. You, yeah. and, and one thing, yeah. being a North Melbourne fan, mate, I would imagine part of where you're at at the moment is a frustration that – this continues to seem to happen. You, you're about to get your fourth coach in four years. I mean, I'm, I'd imagine. Well, well don't forget one of one of one of those coaches was for mental health issues. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't straight. No, we didn't sack him. It was mental health. No, issues, I'm which, aware of that. But, but, but the process you has know, been. So we almost the, shouldn't. Have him. The, the process, yeah. Paul, has been brought into question about how quickly he was uh, selected. So that has been queried from people. Well, about he, the he process. threw his hat into the ring. He, he yep. threw his hat into the ring. You know. Yeah, but the the, the process he, you know, that he, North he, Melbourne he, undertook in the decision making, I don't question Reshaw at all, um, and rap to see him doing well and still involved in footy. That wasn't a crack at Reshaw. And isn't it isn't it interesting that um, Campbell came out and said that if he's not the best development coach in the league, um, I don't know who is. Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if he was still at North Melbourne, a club that still needs a development, mm. needs 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 development. Here's another point, right, before I go off. So is, it, is all of that on North Dave Noble, Noble, Paul? So you're talking about development, you're talking oh. about list, you're talking about a oh. lot of things. We, we so it's all, all on him, all is it? Coaches, but we sacked <laughs> Gavin Brown. Shit. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> like, like, Gavin Brown, we sacked all the coaches and we kept Gavin Brown head of development. So How should it all be on Dave Noble? At the end of this review, uh, if Dave no. Noble's the only one. Yeah, no, 100% not. Okay. If Gavin Brown still keeps his job, oh, mate. I'll, 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 eat, I'll eat my membership. Oh, now, now you're going to have Seriously. Collingwood fans ringing me. Hey, one last question, Paul. Um, who yes. would you like to see as coach? Oh, um, personally, Simpson. Um, I think Clark, the, uh, the jury's out whether Clarkson is still, you know, you know the top line coaches second time around, you know, do, do, does it work? Malthouse, you know, et cetera. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Elsewhere. We'll have to wait yeah, and say, hey, Paul, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. No worries, mate. Uh, we'll agree to disagree. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. People saying Ben Mackay has been great under Noble. The, 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 the venture up forward didn't quite work, but I like the fact that they tried it, and he was brilliant against Collingwood. I mean, he was phenomenal against Collingwood. Um, 0433981116, Jordan Canellis is about to step in, and we'll get swiping. Uh, on some footy Tinder. Um, for what it's worth, when it comes to the next coach, and I've had my say on the decision today uh, and what I think of it, moving forward and looking forward, I would, one, hope that Tassie identify that Dave Noble is a Tassie man. There's your footy boss when you get into this competition, uh, all things going well, touch wood. There's your footy boss. Go and get him. Uh, good people um, make football better. Um, Leon Cameron. So there's a lot of names, but I don't think you can put a first-year coach into this. It just wouldn't be fair on them. Um, we hear about that rebuilds often claim uh, coaches as victims, and we've just seen another example of it. I don't want to see a first-year coach 
um, have to suffer that and then maybe do their chances of ever getting another job uh, harm again. I just don't think it would even be responsible of North Melbourne to put a first-year coach in. I think it needs an experienced head, a wise head. And so a lot of people will say Alistair Clarkson. And I love Alistair Clarkson. Four-time premiership coach of the Hawks, greatest coach of the modern era. I'm a Hawthorne member. Was upset the way that they treated him on the way out the door. He has said that if he's going to come back into into coaching, it, he wants to be coaching a team that's going to contend. He wants to win a premiership. North Melbourne are so far away from that, with all due respect. It, it, it you know, as Leon Cameron said earlier in the audio that I played during the Maccas run, it takes a long time to be in the position that North Melbourne are and get back to a position where they can be even contending for finals, let alone a premiership. We're talking four years. And I would say longer, given the state of their list at the moment, with all due respect, because there's some really good players and people on that list, and I don't mean to denigrate them. So also the price tag for Clarko. Soft cap reductions at the moment. When's that coming back? We know that next year they'll, they'll come back to a certain extent. It puts enormous pressure on assistance because you won't have as many of them as support staff as you would. And in an era where people are taking less to do more, to have a guy who's on so much more, I don't know if he'd want to be in that position. Um, so do you pay someone that much um, when you won't be able to put the support staff in around them that you would need in, in this day and age? And, and Clarko would need less than most. Or maybe he needs more than most because he won't, you know, he, does, he, he would be more of an, um, a general manager in terms of footy and not, you know, maybe not doing the uh, every minuscule thing on the day-to-day side of things. But you can't throw a first-year coach to the Wolves like that. I would hope that Alistair Clarkson becomes the first coach of Tassie. I think that's a bigger legacy piece. I know he says he wants to win premierships. It ain't going to be at North. Um, so who would you put in? I, I think the, the bloke that would be the best for that job. I was sitting in a commentary box with on Saturday. Leon Cameron uh, was just uh, – the amount of texts I got, the amount of texts we got, people saying how brilliant, um, how assured, how rational, um, how insightful, how smart is Leon Cameron. Incredibly impressive. That's that's a guy I think you could put in this situation, has dealt with young lists before, albeit much more talented, um, but knows knows football as well as anybody. Been in it for 36 years and won't be daunted by the situation um, because it is a pretty daunting situation to head into. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 98 A footy tender will do on the other side of this. Uh, but you can have your say, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen or one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Off the text, do you think Clarkson would have made a difference in 38 games? No. No, I don't. <laughs> but... We'll wait and see. Big decision now for the North Melbourne Football Club. Footy Tinder after this. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. On The Sporting Capital, it's time to start swiping with Footy Tinder. Uh, So this is the time of the week where we look at some of the biggest statements made by some of the biggest names in the game. We swipe left if we disagree. We swipe right. Swipe right if we agree. We get one super like. Otherwise, you've got to start paying. And just like real Tinder, if you have to start paying for it, you know there's a problem. Um, so feel free to play along. Uh, 0433 98 11 16 or 1300 736 736. Jordan Canellas. Hello, JK. Hello. How are we? Oh, it's been a busy day. Busy day, to say the least. Um, 
Where are we starting, please? Uh, let's start at North Melbourne. How about? <laughs> I reckon we should go there. A little circuit breaker, sure. Yeah, why not? Go um, for it. I'll ask the question. Alistair, we've been talking about it anyway, but Alistair Clarkson should be the North Melbourne coach. Yeah, swipe left on that one. Uh, it has been pointed out to me on the text, and he did on AFL 360 Extra say, some ask, would you coach North? Yeah, yeah. Seemed very non-committal. Um, he spoke more about his priority was winning another flag. Yep. Has spoken about, you know, being slightly attracted to the idea of taking someone through the process. For me, I just think Tazzy's the, the greatest legacy piece fit for mm. me. Do you reckon he'd wait that long? I think he'll wait to the decision. I think he'll wait till the end of the year and 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 just see if the decision comes and when that the, the, they announce that Tassie will get a team, if they get the team, and hopefully they do, that um, and then he'll he'll make his mind up. And Galister Clark is never going to be short of a job offer. He doesn't need to rush. Yeah. He gets to set his own time frame. If people are in a rush, well, that's your rush, not his. So he'd be happy to sit out another, let's say it's three years away? Well, financially, I think he's being he's okay with a $900,000 well, holiday. That's fine. Um, yeah. I think um, – and look, yeah, we know that the Giants are looking for a new coach. Has Mark McVeigh done enough? Um, have, have we seen enough examples of the caretaker going to the full-time role uh, not working? Uh, to uh, Sooner or later, it's bound to work. I mean, Paul Ruse was able to do it. Lee Matthews, yep. But it hasn't been successful so far. So I would swipe left on that and say go for someone like a Leon Cameron. Don't throw a first-time coach to these to this into this That's, under this bus. That is the one thing they can't do. And we had a caller earlier talking about Lee Adams. That's that, that's just an exact repeat of Reese Shaw. You know, Lee Adams wins a couple of games at the back end of the mm. season. You go, oh, you know what? North Melbourne look all right under Lee Adams. You're just going to get a Reese Shaw situation, which um, you know Reese Shaw had his his own you know battles, which is mm. fine. We respect that, but you want to put an, a, a senior figure at North Melbourne next. Um, the next one is, I don't know if you've got the audio there of David King talking about, uh, assistant coaches from yesterday when he was with, uh, Jared Waitley on the Monday means tests. So, so just do an exercise. So Joel Corey, gone, gone to Fremantle. How are they going? Yeah. Excellent. Stephen King, Gold Coast. Yep. How are they going? They're going okay. Uh, Ash Hansen, Carlton. Yep. Look, I think your pit crew, we undersell the group. We make it all about the one man. We make it all about Luke Beveridge. We make it all about David Noble. We make it all about Matthew Nix. We make it about one man because they're the, they're the top of the tree, and that's okay. The buck stops with them. But yep. Question: Are the assistant coaches at clubs not the most important necessarily, but are they the most valuable people in the footy department? I think we we do underestimate. I'm going to swipe left, but I'm going to say we do underestimate the importance of the role. So Justin Longmuir was, I've been told, absolutely pivotal in Collingwood's 2018. Yeah. Um, as were a couple of the other assistant coaches as well. Yeah, we do. And Nathan Buckley said as much that we do underestimate and, and don't maybe don't understand how important good assistants are. The only thing I can see that's changed at the Western Bulldogs this year, apart from some untimely injuries, is the fact that Ash Hansen and Stephen King, their assistant coaches from last year where they made a grand final, are gone. I think the second most important, if not the most important role. I'm going to say that this role is almost as important now as the senior coach. Mm. Almost as important. In NFL terms, it is. You've got the uh, head coach and you've got the GM, which puts the roster together. The list manager. If that's not as important a role for a football team as the head coach, 
it, it will be soon. It will be seen that way soon. What's your take on the relationship between the head coach and the list manager? Because it always seems like, anyway, what they say is that the coach never really – I mean, I'm sure they have some sort of con- contact, but it's always around the draft time and trade period. It's always the list manager does his job and then the coach sort of takes over the list from whatever has been given to, yeah. to him from we're, the list manager. We're going down the path of what US sport does and probably uh, you'd be better placed than me, but um, Premier League soccer and is that the coach coaches the list that the list manager and the football boss put together. They have an in, they have input. Yep. Here's my game plan. Here's what I need to execute it. They go out and find the players that they can get for the money that they can pay them um, and do the deals that they can do. Senior coach has a say, but they do not run it. The final say on the list is with the list manager uh, and ticked off by the footy boss. So I, I actually think that you'll start to see in years to come footy boss, and on the tier, on the tree, the hierarchical tree, directly underneath on equal pegging will be coach, list manager. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Do you reckon there'll be a closer relationship between the two in, in years to come? Oh, they, I think they're close relationships now. I, I think that they will even separate slightly. Um, they'll work hand in hand. But okay. again, final say, you tell me what, you, what, what, what type of player you want. I'll go out and make sure that that person's the right fit, the right you – know, They'll do all that. You tell me what you need, the pieces, and we will try and find them for you. All right. Another one here. Uh, Gold Coast are right now in the best with everything that's happened, with Stuart Dew re-signing, with the, uh, a lot of the, the young players re-signing, Jack Lukosius recently. They are in as best-placed position as they ever have been. Super like. Super like. Love what's happening all at the right. Gold Coast. All I'm right. excited for them. Footy up there is, is booming. Um, in the junior participation um, numbers. So this is so important that that those kids see something aspirational. And right now, this team's providing that. They stuck fat with Stewie Jew despite up and down, up and down years. And I commend them for it with all and sundry saying, the AFL want Clarko up there. And da, 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 da. they said, you can ha- you, I know we're on your teat, but we will decide who our coach is. And we decide that it is this man, Stewie Jew. He's been there since 2018. He has the playing list, um, which I don't know if it's always been the case, um, but he has them. They're playing the best footy they've played, um, and I hope that they make finals this year. I don't think they do, but I, yeah. I hope that they do. Yeah, it's just been it's been it's been refreshing watching them yeah. this season and seeing them yeah. play well. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and as Stewie Drew said for Noah Anderson, your everyone will remember your name. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, watching that game, the, the thing I liked the most was just. Watching the replay of it was seeing how how f- there was actually a pretty full stadium there yep. on the weekend, and they were all up and about. I mean, obviously a lot of them would be home supporters. They were all up and about at the final siren, which was which was unreal. Um, quick one, yeah. The Western Bulldogs are the most disappointing side this oh, year. Oh, that I should have done that from a super lock. Yeah, swipe right, swipe right. But maybe Luke Hodge was onto something when they lost Bruce last year. They went on a real downturn. They had to. Um, by the skin of their teeth, um, they were able to make sure that they got into finals. They had, already, they had luckily they had enough wins stocked. Um, they just they obviously they just missed out on four, but they played a dominant one dominant game in the finals. Yes, they were up in the grand final. But maybe Luke Hodge was onto it on crunch time that we might have overestimated the Western Bulldogs. Maybe they got some luck at the right times and things went against them. The lines didn't kick straight, all that. But yeah, I, I think the dogs have been yeah the most disappointing team of the year. Good session. Thanks, mate. Short and sharp. Hey, uh, Russell Arnold to join us next. What a win for Sri Lanka. We'll speak to the former legend after this.
You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Jai Syria to finish. Bowls to Swepson. And he's bowled him! Sri Lanka win the test match. They've won it by an innings and 39. Mitch Swepson beaten all ends up. Prabhat Jai Syria finishes with 6 for 59. 12 for the test match. They're all out for 151. But what an inspired and inspirational performance from the home side. Destroyed inside two and a half days in the first test. Decimated by COVID-19 between times. All of the off-field complications that have riddled this country over the last couple of months. And what a response it has been. And innings and 39 runs the winning victory margin. One of the greatest test victories in Sri Lanka's history. One of, as our man Adam Collins said, one of the greatest test victories in Sri Lankan cricket history. What a performance it was to square the series. Uh, And there's no better person to be able to speak to about it than uh, one of the greats of Sri Lankan cricket and part of the SEN commentary team that so brilliantly covered what was an extraordinary test for so many, many reasons. Russell Arnold's been good enough to jump on the phone with us again. Russell, hello to you. Good evening, Sam. Good evening. How are you? Well, look, I'm well, but I'd love to know how you are after and how proud you must be of that performance given everything that's going on in your country, with the civil unrest that we've we've been seeing. Um knocked over inside 23 overs in the first test and then the COVID issues that have struck down the team to then beat an Australian side by an innings. How do you, how do you feel about this result? How do you equate it? Oh yeah, it is an amazing feeling. Actually I I watched, uh, I played, I watched, uh, quite a few Sri Lankan games or international games. Uh, but this is special. There is a feeling that we've not had uh, in the past for the for many reasons that you mentioned, the resilience that was shown. And this is a Sri Lankan team that has struggled to show consistency even at the best of times. For them to put together their best, performance against a very good Australian team whose confidence was very high. If you looked at that Australian team, it was well balanced and they had a team that suited these conditions too. Uh, some champions, uh, champion players, you take a Warner, you take a Smith, the names are there as well. Uh, but uh, to bounce back like that with all the changes, inexperienced bowling lineup, uh, it's incredible. And they were grinding their way through. It's they worked really, really hard uh, to get this win for themselves. I thought it started on that second morning, uh, and that second day was so crucial. Uh, so even though bigger performances came from Chandimal, etc., initially the captain and Kusal Mendes absorbing pressure and how they worked themselves in to this game uh, was was incredible. Uh, it, it is a magnificent feeling that lots of Sri Lankans have, not only about this test match, but also about this whole tour, Australia being here has been special. We know that there's much bigger things happening than cricket, but it's incredible what sport can sometimes do um, in certain situations 
to 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 provide a ray of light, to 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 inspire, to lift up. I don't want to. It's not up to. It's not on. It's it's not my place to be able to say that this did or didn't do that. Did you feel like this was something like that that this win could do just to provide a moment in 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 tough moments that are happening in your country at the moment, Russell? Yes, you mentioned certain uh, situations. Uh, that's the wrong word. In all situations, yeah, we have experienced this in the past. Sri Lanka has. Uh, had a rough run in various different, different for various different reasons, mm. uh, but cricket uh, is the game that uh, we can compete uh, internationally, and it's uh, something that has brought everyone together, even during the times of the c- civil war in the past. Um, that'd be a ceasefire if there was a game, and everyone would come together to enjoy uh, what was going on, and even now. Um, there are petrol queues, people queuing up for gas, and there's, uh, everyone's struggling to even get a proper meal, more or less. But they stop to watch the cricket. They stop to support it. And that feeling that they have, that there's some joy, some distraction, um, it, it's incredible for everyone. And that's why I said even for Australia to have come out here, it, it was amazing. And um, lots of, all Sri Lankans are extremely thankful for the Australians coming out. Uh, it's uh, fascinating and, 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 and much appreciated insight, Russell. And the, the game itself. So I'd love to know from you the, the highlight of it. You've got Dinesh Chandamal, a career-high 206 not out, gets Sri Lanka over the 500 runs, sets up that lead. But all of the veterans did their job. Matthews, uh, Karan Aratni, Crystal Mendes. Um, the leaders really led for Sri Lanka in this test. And they needed to, because after that first test, especially the way they played, mm. um, it, it was not up to mark. They let themselves down. Uh, but even in that instance, the pitch uh, was going over the top from the word go. Now, usually Sri Lanka play on pitches like what we had uh, for the second test, where only good bowlers get wickets. Spinners do dominate, but in goal, it's a warn. It's a Muralidharan or Herat. Not everyone picking up wickets. That was the difference. Yes, slightly slower conditions. Uh, the tactical side of it is, is different. You grind your way right through uh, the first few days. Suddenly, there are moments that come your way. For example, where you pick up a wicket. You've got to be at your best against the new batsman to try and not let him settle and pick up wickets. If not, it's a waiting game. And that's what we saw. The first three days were very, very slow. You wouldn't have thought the fourth day so much would happen. Now, we've seen that happen a few times in the past. But as I mentioned to you before, the Sri Lankan team has struggled for consistency. And we saw it coming. It was setting itself up like a usual goal test match where you have to be smart, dig deep. But their doubts were there. Can the Sri Lankan team do it? Even with the lead, do they have the experience in the bowlers to do nothing, basically? To do the basics, just drop the ball there and let the scoreboard pressure, the moment, the situation, and a little bit of variation uh, in the pitch to do it for you. Luckily, Prabhat Jayasuriya, the debutant, uh, that's all he knew. So that's that's the difference. Sometimes it's not about doing things. It's it's about waiting and letting things take care of itself. And in, in Sri Lanka, most test matches, that's what you need to do. So you mentioned Prabhat Jayasuriya. Fourth best figures ever 
by a test debutante. Six for 118 first inning, six for 59 in the second. Now, I'll put my hand up and say I didn't know Prabath Jayasuriya. Um, Russell, did the country know uh, that this man had this potential or is it a bit of a surprise to you too? Uh, it is surprising because he was way down the picking order. Yeah. Um, the COVID uh, um, changes uh, was actually um, a, a godsend for Sri Lanka because Lassi Tembul, Denia, Praveen, Jayavikrama, they've been the top two left-armers uh, in the Sri Lankan team. But the first test, Tembul, Denia gave no control. Uh, he's not been informed. Jayavikrama also, going back to the Bangladesh test matches in May, um, was not bowling well. So everyone going down with COVID is, is what opened the door for Prabhat Jayasurya. Uh, now he plays his first-class cricket. He's 30 years old and he plays at the Singhali Sports Club where the captain plays his cricket. And the captain um, uh, wanted someone to give him some control just to dot it up so that uh, you know he can one side's taken care of and you can think of picking up wickets from the other maybe. But when runs are leaking, it's very, very difficult. First test, Sri Lanka going at four plus. That's the reason they went to Prabhat. As I said, sometimes uh, it's not about doing too much. It's doing nothing, doing less, but just the basics. And that that's that was the difference. If you go back to Rangana Herat, incredible bowler, just subtle variations, dropping the arm, but he would land everything on a spot. You can't hit him off it. And that's exactly what Sri Lanka got from Prabhat Jayasurya. Another difference with his style of bowling, in on slow conditions, batsmen look to play you off the back foot uh, because it's slow. And that that's the way you put the bowlers off. But Jayasurya, change of pace, he tends to sneak one in, which didn't allow the Australian batsman to do that. That caused the problem. It was incredible. And if he can keep doing that, I'm sure we'll see him in test matches for a long time more. Uh, Russell Arnold, Sri Lankan cricket, great, great joining us on SEN. Uh, it was part of SEN's commentary team at Sri Lanka. One of the most phenomenal performances uh, in the situation that they were in, the performance that they gave, uh, just remarkable. And um, I'd love to get your thoughts, Russell, on Australia's performance. So pretty comprehensive, the win in the first test. And then when you look at the first innings, you go, well, Labuschagne, 104, Steve Smith, 145 you might be lulled into a false sense of security yeah. by that. They didn't get much else, but then it all sort of fell apart. What did you make of Australia's performance? Well, um, when you lose the toss on a pitch like that, if you can contain the opposition to 350, you take that. Because uh, looking at it, we knew uh, going into the third day that pitch will still be good for batting. The difference being, yes, you get the rough that uh, that's created by the crumbling on either side. But within the line of the stumps, it stays pretty good. It doesn't spit at you. Yes, there might be slow turn, but it doesn't spit at you. It's only off the rough. So that's the area. Because of that area, the batsman can breathe easier. So 350 um, would mean if the opposition bats well, they're in the game. You're taking the game deep, and uh, initially that's what you want to do. 298 for five, um, Australia lost a trick there. The next morning, uh, is when uh, the second morning is when Prabhat Jayasurya came into the game really well. Alex Carey, he likes to sweep. That's that's kind of all what he does in the first test. When he tried to get him to hit down the ground, he he got himself out. Um, Jayasurya, bowling around the wicket, kept pegging him. He tried 
to sweep to get him off the length, but that's what Jai Surya did right throughout the Test match. Never left that particular length that was tricky for the batsman. Carey got himself out, and from then on, uh, it, it was just going through the Australian batting lineup, 364 uh, from the position they were in. Was a good score, but the flip side of it was they'd left Sri Lanka with the pitch still very good for a longer period. Um, Australia bowled well initially. Uh, I thought when they started bowling, but Karnaratna Mendis absorbed a lot of pressure. There was no yeah. runs coming in, but they wore the Australians down. That was the crucial thing that happened on the second day. Got them to bowl lots of overs. And then in the third, when you come to the third day, you're asking questions. It's hard to recover. And then you tend to fall away. And I'd like to be slightly critical of Nathan Lyon here. He was causing lots of problems when he was bowling into the rough. But unlike Jayasurya, he went away from that pretty quickly. The moment the batsman swept or did something, he was trying to hit them in, on the pads, bowling straight into that good area. Uh, for me, he should have stuck to his plans a lot longer. That would have made a big difference. Yeah, I think he bowled a record 58 overs uh, on that day. Speaking of Australia's performance in the field, there's some corners that are pointing to poor umpiring, but, gee, Australia didn't do themselves any favours, uh, did they? I mean, uh, unfortunately for Alex Carey, who had um, so, uh, some days that he'd like to forget with the three missed stumpings, and then Australia's use of the review is, and we'll get to what happened while they were batting, but while they were bowling as well, um, w- were you a bit perplexed? Um, yeah, they burnt it. They, they they burnt it pretty early, but it's difficult conditions to make decisions on because so much happens. Um, yeah, Chandimal did get a life. Uh, strong wind blowing. Even Mitch Stark didn't hear a thing. It was everyone behind the stumps who heard it, um, heard the nick. The umpire and uh, Mitch Stark are um, at the other end. Mm. Both of them didn't hear it, and it, it was one of those instances. And, uh, you know, it, you don't stop. Uh, to talk about that because right throughout everyone's career, all batsmen or bowlers, there are decisions that have come for you and against you. If, if I remember right, in one of the one days, uh, Warner was out caught behind the uh, first ball, um, n- not given, and then he went on to score some runs. So everybody yeah. uh, swings and runs. Right and it's about, yeah, it, it evens out. Uh, but that's that's the way it goes. You you can't have many many re- reviews and get excited about everything because you need a balance. And uh, it was a bit of an unfortunate uh, situation. In defence of the umpires, I'll go back down to uh, David Shepherd. Even when very good umpire, and when he was umpiring uh, at a match in Gaul, we were fielding, and he said, "I don't know what's happening. I'm guessing most often." He was being honest of how it was. The ball spinning. Mm. We're all shouting and jumping from short leg, uh, bat hitting pad, the ball hits the pad and then goes on to the body. So many noises. It, it's a hard one mm. uh, when you're umpiring in, in, in such situations. So you do feel for the officials as well. So, Russell, the run chase from Australia, um, couldn't re- several players got starts, Warner 24, Kawaja 29, Labashane 32, Green got to 23, Carey not out 16. What did you make of their run chase? And I'd love to get your thoughts on what you made of, of, of Steve Smith going upstairs. And it turned out to be that he reviewed an umpire, uh, an LBW decision that was shown to be hitting middle of middle. Yes. Well, uh, once uh, I was surprised that Sri Lanka were able to get to 190. 
the way uh, the tail, it wasn't a strong tail, but they hung in there and they put on lots of runs. 190, always felt that uh, if Prabhat Jayasurya um, started landing it on a spot, it was going to be harder. In fact, I did the pitch report on the fourth morning and I picked the area that he was going to bowl into. Because I just felt this guy doing nothing, is, it'll just work. And Australia are busy. They needed to uh, bat with intent in terms of defense as well. Trust your defense. Because it was still good in line with the pitch, uh, in line with the stumps, uh, correction. Uh, but when in this situation, what happens is you're not playing for a win. The only result that was there or what Australia needed to do was to bat and finish the game off. It was 190 behind and the time remaining, that's how it was. So you get caught in between. And we've seen teams um, get caught in between not knowing exactly how to approach it. They've been showing intent right throughout the series, playing those shots. But now and again, one holds up on pitches like this. And that's what causes problems and breaks your rhythm as a batsman. Um, and it, it just tends to happen. That, that mistake comes in. And you need to keep defending and grinding your way through in slower conditions. Trusting your defense is what all the better players who score runs in spinning conditions tell you. It's not about shot a ball. Um, Australia did not trust their defense too much. It was one or two defenses, and then they would try to get the bowler off that line or length. You bowl straight. It doesn't spit at you. See it off. Negotiate the ones around. Wait for the loose ball. And wearing the opposition down was the way to go. Because with those situations, the situation of the game, the condition of the pitch, it's tailor-made for Sri Lanka. Mm. That's where they always want to get to. And hence, uh, you needed to be a little smarter. And what about the Steve Smith review? What was your take on that? Oh, well, it, it looked dead. Yeah, uh, It pitched in, in line. It didn't turn much. It just straightened a bit. But Steve Smith was trying to play the angle. And the moment it straightened, yes, there was a bit of deviation. But he was of the uh, impression he was signaling to, was it Kwaja at the other end? No. It was Manu. Yep. was signaling to him, no, it's fun, it's fun. Yeah, that it took, it, it took off. No, that didn't happen. So um, he just lost his bearings. And new batsman, you bowl your best deliveries. Give him no breathing space. And he loses his bearings, even a good player as Steve Smith, not knowing where his thumbs were. Those are moments you needed to seize. And uh, Jayasurya was just simply brilliant. Uh, he was. Uh, and so too has it been catching up with you, Russell, uh, after a win that brilliant doesn't even do it justice. Uh, and thank you for shining a light and explaining to us just how big a win this was, how important it is to the team and, and to the country as well, given the civil unrest there. Uh, Brent, it was wonderful to listen to you as part of the SEN team, as it always is, uh, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. Cheers, Sam. Russell Arnold, uh, one of the greats of Sri Lankan cricket and uh, just phenomenal work as part of SEN's coverage uh, of the Sri Lankan Test Series. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you had a thought uh, on what you saw, if you had a thought on Steve Smith's review, if you had a thought on the performances uh, over there in any way, shape, or form, one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number to call. Paddy Dangerfield was on with Jared Waitley today in his regular spot. A couple of things I want to play that he had to say on the other side of this Sporting Capital SEN. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Yeah, look, I don't subscribe to the needs to change the way that he plays. Not at all. Like, I, I think 
you know, he's a wonderful young player. Um, I don't see him ducking into tackles. He drops his knees as a player that's playing against him. Then you've got to be aware of the way that he plays and you've got to go lower and harder. It's pretty simple, um, but he's got a technique that really works. So, yeah, I, I don't buy into or subscribe to the theory that he has to change the way that he plays. You've just got to be aware of it as an opposition player. Is there any merit in changing the rules to make the action itself illegal? Would that be practical? I don't think so. Not for, you know, there's very few players throughout time who've had the, the, you know, the ability to play it that way. Um, So I don't think we need to change the rules simply for a few players here and there. Um, It's an effective method, but so is tackling if you get it right and you, and you get low. So you're unfazed by it? Yeah, unfazed, totally. Uh, If I had a super like left from footy Tinder, I would absolutely be super liking that from Paddy Dangerfield. Could not agree with that more or within the rules at the moment. And uh, of course, Jack Ginnivan, nowhere near the only player that uh, employs those particular tactics. And I love what he had to say that it's up to players now to make the adjustment. Gary Lyon spoke about it on the couch last night, that do you just hang off him a bit and wait for him to come up and make the move? Um, I, I think it's very, very well said from Paddy. And it's about knowing your opponent, isn't it? Players don't run front on at Dusty Martin anymore. Why? Because they get the fend. They understand that that's what he does to try and uh, uh, get rid of a tackler. So you've got to know your opponent. If you're a player that gets done in by Ginevan now, surely that's on you. If he dupes anyone now, it's been the most scrutinised and reported action from a player that I can ever remember. So surely now it's on the players to, to make the adjustment. If you get done in, then that's got to be on you, doesn't it? Until there's a rule change that says that he's just not allowed to do it uh, anymore. Sam Mitchell talked about the fact that Hawthorne trained not to take him on in the manner that would see them concede a free kick. So love that from Paddy Dangerfield, sen.com.au to hear the full chat. Hey, after this, future stars for Bravo Management on the Sporting Capital. North Melbourne now with Horn Francis. Here he is, the young man, the gun. Goes to Eugle Hagen, who puts all his skill on display. Pick one of the NAB AFL draft. On the Sporting Capital, welcome to Future Stars. Yes, indeed. Welcome to Future Stars. All thanks to Bravo Management, uh, part of the Sporting Capital on SEN. Each week, we're helping you get draft ready by explaining to you how the stars of the future get draft ready. Liam Pickering back in the chair after a big week away at the Under-16 Championships. Hello, Pickering. It's good to be here, Sammy. And uh, it was a big week. It was a terrific week. It's one of those great carnivals where the Gold Coast, everyone's a bit more relaxed because it's the 16s. You know, they're a couple yep. of years away, but saw some quality footy on the Tuesday. Uh, weather was a bit fluky be honest, but uh, all the recruiters are out there, all the talent ID guys, it's it's actually a good chance to get some some meetings done and see some good young footy. Well, we thought that given that we've spent a lot of time uh, on what's been happening with the Under-18s Championships and there's some games to come there, and we'll touch on including those this as well. Weekend, by the including way. this weekend, double-headed down at GMHBA Stadium. We had Jai Bond on last week from the Oakley Chargers. Haven't they been churning out some talent of recent times, AFLW and AFL talent? Uh, but we thought, why don't we get a, a deeper look at the under-16s? So South Australia winning it, but the man who was there sitting alongside you. Yes, of course, we did sit together on Tuesday or near each other. He is the oracle of all things uh, well, future stars, really. Um, the best talent ID person works for the AFL in that space. Kevin Shifter, Sheen Shifter. Hello, mate. Yeah, Sam and Pickers, great to be with you. Yeah, just reflecting what Pickers said. Great to be, uh, I suppose, back on the circus, we call it, watching uh, national championships. We haven't, haven't had them for three years. And 
those uh, games you're talking about, well, 20 games uh, have been played uh, since the middle of June and uh, we've seen pretty much all of those live, a couple on tape. There was one in Darwin I missed and one down in Tassie, but I've had a look at the tapes and uh, really, really excited about what we've seen for two years' time. That's mm. the 16s and, of course, the draft crop for this year. No, they were everywhere at, up there, the recruiters, the managers, everyone was up there. It was uh, <laughs> it was good. And the, the Tuesday games, uh, the feature games, really, when you're on the Gold Coast because you get yeah, the F- Division One teams, really, you know, you're Vic- Vic Metro's versus, you know, uh, Vic Metro versus South Australia and then Country versus WA. And, and they were terrific games and there were some really quality class players on show in both. Oh, love the games. Although they're wet conditions, they're pretty tough. But, geez, you're looking for the clean hands all the time, aren't you? Mm. Uh, pickers just with boys that, uh, well, just don't fumble at ground level, even if the conditions aren't perfect. Um, still make great decisions with the footy. Work it out that uh, it might be just a shorthand pass or just... Uh, yeah, a longer kick down the line, but you see the footy smarts and the, the footy IQ, as we call it, in action, in tougher conditions. You, you also see that element of courage, too. You're prepared to yeah. body line it. So all those things are, are, are taken into account as you, you glance at, well, with the 16s, there's 250 players <laughs> across the 10 teams. So it's a lot of boys to look at and consider, but super exciting. And uh, we come away with our, I suppose, it's a bit of a wish list. You know, you, you're hoping that uh, player X or Y will uh, develop in the next two years to be a draftable player for your footy club if you're one of the club recruiters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or if you're just a footy fan, you're starting to watch some of the names from the past as their boys start to strut their stuff. And, and that's the father-sons, of course. And, and there's, uh, there's quite a few, as you mentioned, that uh, we'll be following the next couple of years. Maybe headed up... Uh, uh, could be by the Camparellis. Uh, yeah. I love Scotty Camparelli's boys, and he was smart enough to make one a left footer and one a right footer <laughs> so that we can sort them out because they look about the same. Uh, uh, slim, a bit, as you can imagine, with Scotty's boys, quite slim at their age, but still growing, long legs, and move over the ground so well, the pair of them. Uh, and uh, young Lucas is the left footer, uh, quite a classic-looking left footer, and uh, and then Ben, his other boy, is, is the right footer. Uh, and, yeah, both showed it off on the wing, on the respective wings. And at times they're on the opposite wings. At times they interchange off the bench on, onto the one wing. But they're going to be good players, I think, down the track. And uh, both were quite promising the way in the way they played for that winning side for South Australia on the championship. Along with Tyler Welsh, of course, Scotty Welsh. Scotty Welsh's um, boy. Played it uh, with the, the Kangaroos there, uh, Pickers and then a crossover at Adelaide was a terrific player. And his, his boy, gee, he's got the sticky fingers up forward. He was one of the exciting forwards. Another father-son. And to top it off, Will McCabe won the MVP for SA. Uh, and his dad, of course, uh, uh, Luke, uh, was uh, played, of course, at Hawthorne. Mm. So they're just a few of the father-sons that, uh, that caught the eye. And there's another Ashcroft coming through as well. This time it's Levi Ashcroft. We've heard about Will. If you're watching for future stars, Will's been the star a draft age player this year. Well, young Levi, very impressive. A bit of a clone of the brother, no surprise, uh, playing for Vic Metro. So he's one to watch for two years away. Brett Montgomery's young bloke as well. Louis Montgomery, I believe that's Brett's young fella, playing for South Australia. It, it is. And, of course, as the uh, coaches, assistant coaches move around the country, so do their boys. Uh, uh, we remember Barry Mitchell covered a bit of ground and Tom yeah. followed him around. So he represented, I think, WA and Vic Metro at various uh, championships along the way. And uh, young Montgomery certainly was a good player too in that uh, third and deciding game for SA in the championships. Now I saw, uh, this, it's the first game with, West Australia, sorry, with South Australia and Vic Metro. And it was, it was, 
a good quality game that went to the wire, went for a shot after the siren in the finish, actually. Uh, and Vic Metro were able to hang on in that game. The other game, the rain started. So it got slippery. We had a bit of a half an hour break, didn't we, Kev? And uh, all of a sudden, it's, the rain came, and it came pretty steadily in that second game. And I was starting to worry about the ground a bit. But there was one boy that really stood out to me, number four for Vic Country, a kid called Finno Sullivan, who looked a real special player. Yeah, he was special, all right. Look, we're talking about, they said it was the coldest day in about 40 years up there in <laughs> Queensland. Now, we can find that weather, can't we? We just whack a championship game on somewhere. We can break droughts with what we do. Uh, and and it, uh, we say we ordered that, you know, we'll test their resilience here as the rain's coming in sideways. Well, this boy, you'd be no surprise, this boy from down around Coroit Way, it uh, didn't worry him, tough conditions, that's... Uh, that's par for the course for any boy from down there. You think he might be? Look, it's a great. It's it's like the racetrack. The coat pullers are there at the at the championships, and they give you the little whisper on something. And the, and the whisper is that he's related to Sammy Walsh. He might be a really? second cousin's the whisper. Yeah, so he's in that family. Hey, no surprise once you know that when you see the way he runs. He covers the ground magnificently. Beautiful running action. Uh, lovely long thumping kick. He's lightly built. Maybe he's 180 centimetres tall at the minute, but he's stringy. He'll grow another three or four centimetres at least in the next couple of years. And I think he's downboarding at Xavier College here in Melbourne. So he's um, he's got everything in his favour to be a player in a few years' time. And he ended up winning the medal in Division 1 as the best and fairest player across all of the players in Division 1. So that's quite a feather in his cap for... And that's amongst 100 boys that are in Division 1. So he, he's one really to watch. Finno Sullivan, a boy from from Vic country and uh, we're excited to see the way he progresses uh, in, in the next uh, 24 months. AFL talent ambassador, Kevin Sheen, our special guest on future stars, all thanks to Bravo management shifter. It was the SA team that were uh, triumphant overall. They uh, defeated WA in game one comprehensively by 48 points. They went down to Vic Metro by just three in game two. They were still in the hunt for the title. They had to beat um, Vic country and they did. Just want to ask you about a couple of the players from it for our South Australian listeners that, um, the stand-in captain, Ned Atkinson. So Sid Draper fractured his thumb. He was their captain, but it was Atkinson in that last game. 25 touches, eight marks, four clearances, four inside 50s and a goal. One of 11 goal kickers going through the middle. What can you tell us about this young man from Sturt? Uh, well, of course, his dad, Brody, played Brody. across there at, yeah. uh, at the Saints. Yeah, so we've we've really got father-sons everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, and was a fine player in that game, uh, their best player. And young Sid Draper's brother, um, Aldo, was there at Collingwood, uh, uh, was drafted last year. He looks a player for mine, too. He, he played that first game. and His power out of the centre of the ground was, uh, well, a delight to watch. It was eye-catching. Um, just his ability to accelerate. He's a powerfully built young fella. And it was just such a pity to see him injured and not play up the three games. But he's one that certainly we will follow with great interest. They were terrific players. Another boy called Dyson Sharp. Couldn't believe he has got an old head on his shoulders. He's a bottom ager in the under-16. He's a 15-year-old uh, boy that just collected the footy, read it brilliantly across half-back, uh, used it very, very well. They were some of the better players, but uh, a very impressive uh, group of young men that will follow with, uh, with great delight. Um, and, yeah, Louis Montgomery, we mentioned him a wee bit earlier. So it was full of the, the boys that have got, to, I suppose, footy in their blood because their dads have been players at you know an AFL level and uh, on many occasions, of course, at Sandville level as well. So you got the uh, the Vic Metro, the player that's he's only lightly built, but he's a he's a jet. He's Jagger Smith, a very nice player. 
Yeah, and he finished on very well too. His best game was probably the third game. Uh, was good in, well, I think good in each of the games, but then even better again, Jager Smith. Uh, uh, just, uh, he's got that lovely step. I love to see that. The boys will take on the opponent, uh, win the ball well, clean, don't fumble it, and then the opposition, the opponent comes at him to tackle. They just step around him, find a bit more space, and then he's summing up what to do with it. He lays it off beautifully by hand, um, sets it up that way, or, or kicks it to his, uh, to his teammate up the ground. So a midfielder that we'll look forward to watching. Uh, amongst many, but uh, yeah, Jager Smith. We'd heard about him before the championships. Began. I love that when you, you yeah. you're cold. You better look out for this fella. I remember that with a, a kid called Judd years ago. Mm, rings a bell. Him in the rings a bell. Shift championship. <laughs> it, the kid Judd kicked three in ten minutes, so it didn't take long for me to say, "Oh, I think we've seen one there." And you're looking at his date of birth with young Judd, and it was uh, September. And we're going to, oh, no, we're going to wait a. In those days, it was 17 and a half, I think, the draft age. And uh, we had to wait two years for the kid to be in the draft pool. So it only took us 10 minutes, I'd reckon, to, to see those goals. It was Icon one day there at Icon Park uh, at the start of the championship. So they're the sorts of moments we have when we're watching the best young kids. You get pretty excited and you, 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 you know that you're going to see them progress to make it to AFL level uh, in just a couple of short years. So just before we uh, turn our attention to the 18s shifter, uh, we're global, of course, on future stars. But uh, for those um, maybe in some of the uh, the, 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 the second division we'll get to stage, Division 2 shortly. Yeah, I think we'll need to have, just have a chat about who you're, who you're liking from the, from the second division. But we'll do that on the other side uh, of the break. Uh, Kevin Sheen is our special guest, the AFL talent ambassador on future stars. All thanks to Bravo Management. Back after this. You're listening to Future Stars on the Sporting Capital. Welcome back to Future Stars for Bravo Management. Our special guest tonight, Kevin Sheen, AFL Talent Ambassador. He's been uh, up on the Gold Coast watching the Under-16 National Championship, South Australia, victorious there. And we've heard about some of the best and brightest coming out of uh, Victoria, South Australia. Um, and we need to touch on uh, some of the, the second division teams' uh, picks about who we should be keeping an eye out for from there and maybe even WA as well. So, Shifter, who haven't we covered off and who do we need to be uh, just aware of a couple of years out from them joining uh, the big leagues? Well, I think we have a look at the Tassie boys, the Tassie Devils. They called it under-16 level as well. Uh, they won Division 2, so they're able to knock over the four club academies from in New South Wales and Queensland and beat NT. So uh, they're the winners of that title. Um, well, he, his, this boy's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, he played on the wing, won their MVP. His name's Oliver Depali Cubank. Uh, so he is the hyphen for the surname, a very smart winger. Um, Beautiful mover across the turf. He's, he's brave in the air, um, creative with his hands, and uh, uh, and come away with that particular uh, trophy to, uh, that is, uh, of course, presented by the NAB, our sponsors of the program. So we'll look out for him. Uh, don't worry about size and lightness. He, he wouldn't be 60 kilos. or would be roughly 60 kilos at the minute. But he's got two years or maybe three or four years to, to develop physically. But he's got the footy smarts and he can find the footy. He averaged actually 28. Uh, disposals across the championship, so he just found it so regularly. Um, another boy called Aidan O'Connor was impressive for mine too. Uh, a boy that, like many of these boys, a very talented cricketer, uh, one of the best cricketers in the state, as well as a very promising footballer. He's got that uh, athletic ability that you you you, uh, you look out for, that power, 
that allows him to, to get the separation. We mentioned that of Draper a wee bit earlier from SA, but this boy's got that. Got injured in the last game. We'd love to have seen him um, finish off against the Sydney Swans in that game, but was injured early, so we hope he's okay from that. But he showed plenty of promise. Um, there's a big boy from, uh, from Brisbane called uh, Billy Richardson, about 198 centimetres and you notice that um, his birth date is in December as well. He'll turn 17 in December. A great part with this championship, we allow them a few 17-year-olds who have got late birth dates, normally tall, to come into this to further their development. And he was an eye-catcher from there. Um, and a boy called uh, another Zeke, or another, sorry, Euland um, is the surname. His, his brother Brody Euland's on the list up there at Gold Coast. This boy is uh, Z-E-K-E. I think with that Christian name like that or a first name like that, that would be a first within the <laughs> AFL should he get through. This boy's three years away. He collected it magnificently across half-back as a bottom-age player, a 15-year-old. Uh, Ziggy Euland, uh, look out for that boy. Um, there among many, a boy called, this is another great name too, Leonardo Lombard, <laughs> the MVP for the Gold Coast Suns, a midfielder as well. Uh, so at least I think our multicultural program's working with boys coming from all sorts of backgrounds uh, into the AFL, all with the hopes and dreams of making it to the top one day. So they're just a few of the ones that caught my eye. Yeah, and young Creser, Darren Creswell's young bloke, he's a nice oh, young player. Oh, yes, yeah. his, his young boy did did very, very well. Uh, uh, yeah, again, it's no surprise with his footy smarts. It's young Josh Creswell. And at one at once spot there, it was right in the side, and he had the chance to to win the game for the Giants, but it was too deep in the pot. It was 50 out, just about an impossible shot. But, um, yeah, he had a good carnival overall, and uh, his work through the midfield was uh, under notice of all the clubs for sure. Part of the Giants Academy is. We missed out on WA, and I know that... Part of the Giants Academy, but also father-son of the Swans, of course. Oh, wow, there's a big decision coming yeah, up. Well, he's going to be a father son of the Swans, don't worry. He's good so, enough. So <laughs> um, we, we, we don't want to risk the ire of our uh, WA constituent mm. shifter. And uh, who really turned your head uh, from a WA perspective at the mm. Under-16 Championships? Well, this is no surprise to hear this for anyone that, that knows underage footy out of WA and, and, and the role of the Indigenous players play. She's a big scientist for for many years, 30 or 40 years. But mm. look out for um, Malachi. Uh, Malachi Champion. Malachi, the little number three pickers. Yeah, remember good. him. And the number five, his mate, uh, it's Anthony Hansen. We'll call him Tall Dark and Hansen. Young Hansen was uh, brilliant up forward. These two boys, yeah, they, they were uh, like the Cracker Brothers, we called them, uh, the way they were playing uh, with each other, you know, playing it to each other. Um, knew when to put it out in space as their teammate because they had the leg speed to get away from any opponent. And they were super exciting up there for Queensland. Uh, they got some great support. A kid called Chase uh, Martinson, also in the midfield, the number 11, was the boy that, um, well, got them to uh, got them to victory, uh, certainly late in the championship. He was uh, in, in their final two games. He was uh, uh, such a hard worker for them through the midfield, won their MVP and... That topped off a great week. In fact, an exciting week for them because they flew to, to to Adelaide, then back home. They flew to the Gold Coast, then back home, and then they flew back into Adelaide again. So that's over about a three-week period. Uh, that's all part of the policy of fly-in, fly-out for the boys rather than sort of uh, having, as they would normally do, two games on the Gold Coast four or five days apart. But uh, the risks of COVID spreading meant that they had to fly in and fly out, as all boys did. So we hope that that 
experience of doing that, the most difficult thing you could possibly imagine, coming in and out. And uh, you get a bit tired, as they say, the Victorian country boys were. They were flying up and back on the day at one stage. So that was pretty tough on them. But uh, as they say, the, uh, the oldies say anyway, it'll build your resilience, son. You know, <laughs> you've got through that, you can get through anything. Yeah. And so those boys from WA certainly grew with that experience and, and uh, finished off having a, a great carnival. Yeah, it was fantastic to see, actually, because it was a bit of a concern early days, uh, but they finished off really strongly. Let's get down to GMHBA on Sunday because the under-18s doubleheaders there as well, of course. Yeah, uh, the the second match will be uh, Vic Country versus WA, uh, having just mentioned WA, but then SA Vic Metro to to kick it off. But half past ten, live on Fox, both games. So if you, as a, as the punter or the follower, the fan, want to have a look at them all and look at some of the cream of the crop, the best against the best, um, have a look at these games on Sunday. The only group missing, of course, are the Allies. They've completed their four games, and gee, we've seen some beauties there. Just look out for Jasper Fletcher, Adrian's boy. Uh, yeah. The pace comes from mum. I'm told that the pace definitely doesn't come from Adrian. He's he, a he mate wouldn't of argue with you. He wouldn't argue with Fletcher. you, would he, Fletch? He, he is an absolute ripper, played nearly 250 games at yep. three, four clubs. And, of course, not eligible to any of them. Uh, under father, son, didn't get 100 at any of the four, but he's eligible for the Lions under... The the, uh, the club academy laws. He's been up there for a while, and they're going to rip it here. I think him and maybe Will Ashcroft, who also for the Lions, mm. are two of the better midfielders in the draft. Jasper finished off with the best on the ground. The Allies finished with a win in their final game of the Under 18 Championships. They beat WA for the first time. Yeah, and that's a fantastic effort. Again, they've been on the road for five weeks. These boys. The the first week was their trial week that was up in Sydney. North versus South Allies, where they sorted out a squad. And then uh, over the course of four weekends in a row, 36 different players played for the Allies, and they come home with a great win with, uh, well, I think Fletcher Best on the ground in that final game. Um, another good player for, for the Allies, which gives you a bit of an idea of where they come from, was Harry Rouston, a boy that's up at Assumption College. He's coached up there by Barry Prendergast now, the former well, he'd been recruiting at Melbourne, of course, and more recently in development at North Melbourne. Uh, but Harry Rouston won the MVP for the Allies. He's a boy from Griffith. We don't have too many from Griffith uh, in New South Wales, but come down to Assumption, and he was just prolific in winning the ball through, <coughs> excuse me, through midfield and uh, and kicking goals when he rested forward. He had a great championship. Um, I'm going to mention a, a couple of defenders too. Lockie Cowan from over in Tassie, from the Tassie Devils, was super throughout, uh, as was a boy called Jason Gilby from Balranel, which is up in New South Wales. But he, he goes to Bendigo, he's in Bendigo playing for the Pioneers. But obviously, being a state of origin concept, he's eligible for the Allies as well. They were some of the better boys. And uh, a kid to mark down at Senar Ford for the Allies, Jed Walter from the Gold Coast oh, yeah. Suns. A thumping 196-centimetre athlete that kicked goals four in one game, three in another. He was super as a marking target mm. up forward. Got three against they're WA. They're going to get a beauty, I think. Yeah, I think they're going to get a beauty there. Um, the goal, they'll have, to be, they'll have to match the bid pretty early next year. He's a bottom major at that size. You just don't see them as, as strong, mobile. He hits the packs. It might be like an Aaron Norton or someone like that. You know, it really is aggressive and he's launching the ball. So, yeah. Super exciting. So they're the boys that are finished, but there's still plenty of exciting boys on show with the two Vic teams, SA and WA, to go at it this Sunday. 
Well, we can't wait to speak to you uh, after that's reached its conclusion, Shifter, and hear all about uh, who really put their name up uh, to the top of recruiters' list. Thanks so much. You're always so generous with your time. It's brilliant insight that we get, and we are very appreciative for it. Uh, thank you so much for being on Future Stars with us. Thanks for having us, Sam and Pickers. Uh, look forward to Sunday. Good on you. Thanks, Shifter. Uh, AFL Talent Ambassador Kevin Shifter Sheehan. Uh, I hope people were writing those names down because I was. they've just been. You, oh, I could see you. I could see you writing them. I knew, oh, I knew, I don't a, lot know of, it, I knew a lot of them. There were a couple there that I hadn't marked. So, uh, yeah, I've got them marked now. Don't worry about that. Uh, can't wait to get your thoughts uh, on the double header that's happening down at GMHBO Stadium on Sunday. Yes. When we do it all again next week on Future Stars. See you then. Thanks, Sammy. See you then. Uh, plenty still to come on the Sporting Capital. Up next, our dedicated Lawn Bowl show, part of the Sporting Capital without bias, is next. And until next week, that's it for Future Stars. All thanks to Bravo Management. Welcome to Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends want it. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Ah, yes, indeed. Very good evening and welcome to another edition of Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show, part of the Sporting Capital on SEM. We dive into the wonderful world of lawn bowls and it's an exciting time. Our jackaroos have jetted off uh, to get their preparations underway over in the UK with Birmingham starting on the 28th of July, the Com Games for 2022. Uh, coming up later in the show, we're going to speak to the Australian Open Under-18 Boys Singles Champ, Joseph Clark. But before that, uh, a lady who knows all too well what it takes to win gold at a Com Games, because she's got two of them. Former Jackaroo uh, and just all-round superstar, Carla Krasanik is with us. Local Legends Wanted, search bowls clubs near me. Proudly brought to you by Apia, who are proudly supporting Bowls Australia. Our Jackaroos chat this week for Right at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. Carla, hello. Hello, Sam. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, look, thank you for jumping on. Uh, I'm wrapped that we were able to catch up with you tonight, given what's ahead uh, for our Jackaroos, and not many are as well-placed as you to be able to take us inside what's happening for them right now. Um, They've just headed off uh, to the UK. I've been following a fair few of them on Instagram. Of course, Barry Lester, the most uh, prolific uh, on the gram. But uh, feel like I know exactly uh, where they're at um, in their travels what do you? What can you tell us about what's going on for them in their minds as they're sitting on the plane or uh, probably about to disembark um, and start um, at, at, on the ground in the UK? Yeah, well, I, I heard that they had quite a few delays on actually getting out of the country. So um, I bet for all of them that was um, super frustrating because I know for myself, uh, when I headed over to Glasgow um, and or even up to just the Gold Coast for the Com Games there, like getting on the plane is the part when it all becomes real. Like, you know, the team gets announced and you have all the celebrations and things of making the team, but it's when you get to the airport and you're actually going um, that it all really sinks in that, it, you know, it's happening and that the games are literally just around the corner. So I'm sure the players were all full of um, so much um, excitement and a bit of, you know, anxiety as well. And then to get delayed just sort of, you know, um, makes that all a bit bigger and a bit more scary. But, um, yeah, they're on the plane now and I think they've almost landed, I presume. Um, and, yeah, they'll hit the ground running. So I think they're all pretty excited. All the ones I've spoken to are extremely excited. It's, it's been fascinating seeing what they've done in the warm-ups. Obviously, we had the Australian Open, which is great preparation um, to, to be able to bowl against the very best 
um, but we're also with Mount Tambourine um, fixing a, a green to replicate as best it can the, the, the slower conditions uh, of the UK greens and the Birmingham greens that our jackaroos are set to roll out on. Um, what is What awaits them in the build-up? They're heading over a couple of weeks early. So what do you understand to be the build-up for them uh, before uh, competition gets underway? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. They're going to get there a couple of weeks early. Um, it gives them a chance, number one, just to settle in um, to the the team environment. Uh, most a lot of all the players know each other well, but it's it's a big change, um, you know, living with a team. So it gives them a chance to settle into that. Obviously, the greens are a lot different, um, and they've had chances to play on slow greens here, but. They are. You still want to get really familiar with the conditions over there. So the two weeks give them a good chance to settle in, learn the conditions, but not have to go like, you know, full on on the greens all day. You know, that that long period of time gives them a chance to, you know, half a day here, half a day there. And I have no doubt in tradition we usually do a few bonding things as well, which is always fun for the team. You know, to get to know each other a little bit better and have a few laughs and not take things too serious before you get into the um the village and it all it's all actually happening so from your own perspective obviously you'd remember that coming into 2018 australia with a form team and the team to beat um you got two golds uh, at that game so uh, four years on it, it makes sense that australia will be the team to beat again do they come into this com games with a bit of a target uh, on their back are they uh, the team that uh, you're going to have to have in your sights if you're going to claim gold? Yeah, look, I, I think um, we all, uh, as Australian players, we know that most of the other countries, um, yeah, they sort of go out there um, wanting to beat us. Um, we're, I guess, been probably the strongest country over the years, um, particularly the women. We've had quite um, strong results over the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, we know that, um, but we also have, you know, there's a few countries that we're sort of always keeping our eye on trying to make sure we get on top of those. So, um, uh, yeah, all the players will know that everyone's out there to beat them, but they're also out there to beat everybody else. So it all equals out, I guess, in the end. Um, you made the decision to withdraw from selection um, for the games yourself and, and Kelsey Cottrell. How tough a call was that to make? Yeah, um, yeah, extremely tough. Uh, I obviously love playing for Australia. I love playing bowls. I still feel like I've got a lot to give, and um, I actually really love playing on the slow track. So um, Birmingham seemed like um, a real goal for me um, two years ago, but then I ended up having two children in amongst it. So um, yeah, look, it's a hard decision to make, but at the end of the day, you know, I've got a six-month-old. And as you can hear, I've got a two-year-old trying to get my attention right now. Um, yeah, I just, I just, it wasn't in my heart to be able to leave them. And and I think Kelsey's the same in that, you know, if you can't give 100% in your preparation, um, then you're not doing justice for the team. And I, I knew that I couldn't give 100% with a, a newborn. Um, and the girls that have made the team they have, they've been out there playing everything. They've been training their butts off. Um, and so they're going to get over there and they're going to perform well. And I, I just knew with a little baby, you, you can't do that. So um, sometimes you've got to, you know, put other things um, first. And, yeah, um, I'm I'm just looking forward to cheering them on now. I know they're going to go well and I know they've done all the hard prep. And, um, yeah, hopefully it all just falls into place for them. And um, the best thing about bowls is you're not too old. So there's plenty of time for me to come back and have another crack, hopefully, in the future if I can get back in the team. Have you been? Have you managed to get uh, a, bo- a bowl into the youngest one's hands yet? 
Um, so my two-year-old Axel, he does come down a little bit to the club. We've had a school holiday um, bowl thing on um, at Club Sunbury over the last couple of weeks, and um, he's been my little sidekick. He's not quite into the full-size bowl yet. He needs two hands for that, but he loves to roll the jack around. So, And he does have this really big obsession with... Um, the markers that we use for the back of the rink when the ball goes in the ditch. Um, the ones at Club Sunbury are golf balls. So I'm hoping his obsession with those are that he's actually into golf. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, beautifully done. Hey, um, how much time with, with, with that commitment you mentioned, it wasn't possible for you to commit fully to the Jackaroos. So how much can you um, dedicate to training uh, at the moment? Yeah, well, I, I think my training's tr- um, it's changed a lot since before I had children. Like I used to be able to go down um, anytime I want, spend a couple hours on the green, um, you know, and stop and have lunch and back out and spend a bit more time on the green. Um, whereas now with kids, obviously, you know, I might only have 45 minutes or if I take the youngest down in the pram, he's pretty good. He's happy to watch, but it's sort of, you know, 40 minutes is the max. So, um, it's actually in some ways helped my training because I think I go down now, okay, I've got to achieve this. I've only got a short period of time and I just really focus while I'm there because I know that's the only time I can get down there for that week. So um, it's been bizarre in that some ways it's actually probably um, yeah, helped me um, focus a bit more on purposeful training and getting the most out of it when I'm there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a successful year uh, for you. Carla Krasanik is our first guest on Without Bias, thanks to Ride at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. Um, you, you won the Australian Champion of Champions in April, um, being just the second woman actually to win the event twice. So it, it's clearly working for you. What did that victory mean to you? Yeah, look... Um so we got delayed, obviously. It was the 2021. So I was actually supposed to play it when I was pregnant with my youngest, Harley. Um, so it all ended up a bit different. Instead, I was up there with him. Um, he would have been four months old when we were up there. So, uh, yeah, it ended up being different to how I expected playing it. But, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed the event. I enjoyed getting out on the green now. It's a, my mum was up and my dad were up there helping me look after the little ones. So once I'm out there, I could just concentrate on the game. And yeah, I just enjoyed, I always enjoyed playing on Broad Beach Greens. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, we had heaps of rain. And so in some ways that kind of um, helped me. I do sort of like the slower track anyway. Um, yeah, so I just got out there and um, uh, yeah, had a crack and it all, all fell into place for me in the end. A month further on, uh, Melbourne Extreme had a great run at the BPL. You reached the final in Brizzy. Unfortunately, caught falling to the Crosstown Rivals in the Melbourne Pulse. <laughs> You had to pull out of the tournament yeah. not well, but but that event, I mean, it just goes from strength to strength to strength, um, and it is doing great things in the world of lawn bowls. Yeah, the BPL, um, you can ask any player or any person that goes up to watch or watches on the tally, like it really is just um, a great spectacle of bowls. We all love playing it. Um, obviously for me, Melbourne Extreme, um, is owned by my club, Club Sunbury. So there's that extra little incentive playing for them. Um, love playing with Maddie and Ali. They've been so much fun. And I think that really shows on the greens, um, at the last BPL, obviously quite successful making the finals. Unfortunately for me, the, um, the good old COVID bug finally caught up to me at the wrong time. <laughs> Um, but we're lucky enough that Jessica Tell, she stepped in for me and she was brilliant. She just, you know, 
had no um, no qualms at all about jumping on the green with the big guns, and yet she played really well. So I was really glad that she was able to jump in, and uh, you know, it made me feel a bit better. I was feeling like I really let the team down, but um, yeah, she played her role well, and they got to the final. And unfortunately, of course, Melbourne Pulse just just jumped them um, in the tiebreaker. But yeah, it's a, it's such a great event, and um, I love trying to promote it and people who haven't seen it before to, to watch it because it really just shows what a great sport bowls is and you can see all the players having so much fun and the spectators get into it with the singing and the hoorahing and yeah it's, it's definitely my favourite event on the calendar so I'm looking forward to the next one as well. Uh, always great to catch up with you Carla and appreciate your time and your insights too about uh, what how Jackaroos are probably feeling ahead of what they're facing uh, in the 2022 Com Games. Uh, we can't wait for that to get underway, and I'm sure we'll speak to you uh, either before, during, or after. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Sam. And, yeah, I can't wait to see um, them go well, see the Aussies out up on the podium. It'll be, it'll be great. And, yeah, they um, yeah they deserve to go good. They've had so much, they've put so much hard work in, um, and it's been such a challenge with COVID and all the restrictions, but they've got out there and trained hard and, yeah, hopefully all the hard work um, comes to fruition and we see some medals come home. Carla, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. This is Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 13 50 50. Get set, go. Local legends wanted. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowls show on the Sporting Capital, all for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanted to search bowls clubs near me and for Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. Uh, it was great to catch up with Carla Krasanik. If you missed any of that chat, uh, the two-time gold medal winning Jackaroo, not going to Birmingham, but gave us great insight into what our team can expect heading over. They're on the plane right now as we speak. Uh, it'll be all up on the podcast. But now joining us, the Australian Open under-18 boys singles champion, Joseph Clark's been good enough uh, to have a yarn to us on without buyers. Hello, Joseph. Hey, mate. How you going? Now, Joseph, my full name is Samuel, but I only get Samuel if I'm in trouble. Are you Joseph? Are you Joe? Or what do you go by? Uh, I get around the bowls world. I'm Joey uh, a lot. Joey. All right, we'll yeah. stick with we'll stick with that if that's uh, if that's how you want to roll. Uh, all good by me. Hey, congratulations! Back to back boys' titles at the Australian Open. What an honour! It must mean the world to you. Yeah, it does. It's um, it's awesome to yeah compete against you know boys your own age and play blokes you know that you don't get to play every day of the week at your own club and expand. You know, around the whole of Australia, to win that is it means a lot. Like really, to be honest, and to do it two in a row as well was good because you know first year Victoria wasn't wasn't in the Aussie Open, so to get back to back is pretty good as well. You know, just to make like just affirm to myself that you know I was good enough to win it when Victoria was in it as well. Hey, um, it was a pretty tough final against Jack McShane. Um, you had to come from behind. He got off to a really good start. You were able to, to get back into it uh, and then uh, stretch ahead. Um, how how difficult was it to problem solve? Um, what did you have to go through mentally to to work your way back in, and then to get to where you did in the end? Yeah. So during the game, there's, there's a few specific stages. So it was just problem solving in in terms of. This shot selection, um, the, the most specific one I can remember is uh, 16-14. I picked up a three and, yeah, he had shot. And there was about a, a metre and a bit to draw. And 
his bowl was about three. So in terms of problem solving, should I go to the bowl or should I just draw a shot? I decided to go to the bowl and, and got that, which got me a three because he missed the draw. There was a few stages where I had to make some significant decisions on what weight I'm going to play. Um, I felt the more numbers I'm holding, the more pressure on him, and that would uh, force him to make a couple of mistakes, which luckily he did at some stage. And um, there's a lot of problem solving and uh, mentally, just trying to mentally get back into the game because he was jumping ahead there at the start, 9-3. There was, there was a few instances where I just had to you know, have a little drink and just re-engage, and that was that was the biggest uh, problem solving I did, just checking in myself mentally, making sure I'm in it. <laughs> Well, uh, brilliantly done. Uh, it's a fair bit of pressure, and you've got to roll the dice and sort of have the courage to to stick with the call and um, you knew, and and the decision to go with having to, to securing points. Uh, it was a gutsy one, uh, and it paid off in the end. Were you feeling the pressure as a defending champ? No, not at all. It's funny. Uh, the night before, all my mates messaged me, and you know, what are your chances? They asked me, and I honestly told them. I said, look. I honestly reckon that it's going to be a really tough game. And I honestly thought that he was honestly expected or not expected, but uh, I had that mindset that, you know, that he was supposed to beat me. Like from a Sydney area, from a Sydney area, that's the mindset I have. Anyone from Sydney area is expected to beat someone from cost. That's just my mindset anyway. And I guess I went into it with that mindset and, I didn't really feel as if because I was a defending champion that I, I walked into that as a favourite or anything. I kind of felt like, if anything, you know, he was he was favoured, I guess. I don't know, but I just, I kind of went with that underdog mindset still, even though I was defending. But, um, no, I didn't really feel that pressure at all, to be honest. Uh, to credit to you, um, last year we saw your school all get involved. They are on board watching the final via the Zoom um, they give you great support. How much uh, of, of that have you received uh, throughout your bowls career so far, whether it be from school and friends and family? They tend to get around you. Oh, so much. Uh, like As you said, the whole school watched last year. Um, this year, year 12 watched it in the hall. Just awesome from a, from a school level. Um, they provide so much support and... Um, moving around assignments for all my bowls and all that constantly and they provide heaps of support. Um, on a personal level, my, my dad, Peter, he, um, since a young age, getting me into bowls and, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a a real uh, baton handoff, you know. He, he got me to a, a point where I, I was in a position to win something like this and Corey Daly from our area took me under his wing and is taking me, taking me to this level of bowls and then uh, my coach Paul Sullivan from our area now he like done so much with my delivery and it's looking good at the moment and you know now he's taking me further it's um that's all that support has been significant really I really couldn't do it without him and support from my mum as well coming down and watching and just family support when I come home like they love it and it really makes me want to keep keep doing it really it's just Incredible amount of support. You're going to go into the open ages now. Um, so it's a, a big step up from, from juniors to, to men's. How excited are you and, 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 and where are the confidence levels that you've got with the game to compete with the very best? 
Yeah, I take a, I take a bit, a bit of confidence out of what I've been able to do in the under 18s bracket, but uh, you know it's completely different. I'm I'm very excited to uh, focus on it because uh, usually the ones I circle on the calendar are the under 18s events. But I'm a big chance of I thought I was a big chance of you know getting a good result, but now going into the men's, it's a lot harder. There's a lot of great bowlers around, and um, I think I've just got to take what I've been able to do in under-18s and just develop even more. And um, I should be able to walk, go up to men's events, uh, where it would be two or three years and be very competitive and hopefully start winning those things in the, in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Set the bar high, my man. Um, you've, you've dominated it at junior level. Let's keep it going in the open ages. And I'm sure all the people around Coffs Harbour and the Park Beach Bowls Club, of which you remember, are going to be uh, cheering you on every step of the way. And, of course, uh, all the crew at John Paul College as well, mate. Hey, thanks so much for being with us on Without Bias and good luck for the rest of the year uh, and for the rest of what we're, I'm sure will be a, a successful bowls career. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate you having me on. Uh, very good, man. There's uh, just a great insight uh, into the future of Australian bowls. Uh, the uh, boys under 18 singles champion for the second year in a row at the Australian Open, Joseph Clark. Uh, that's it from us on Without Bias. If you missed anything, Carla Krasanik, uh, Joe, Joey Clark, it's all up on the Without Bias podcast page, sen.com.au. For Bowls Australia, local legends wanted a bowls greens just up the road. Search bowls clubs near me. Make sure you get out and about. Uh, AP at the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 13 get set, go. That's it from us uh, on Without Bias. Stick around, though. Sporting Capital continues uh, on the other side of this. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. How are our Aussies and NBA, NBL players doing at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas? Liam Santa Maria is going to tell us and Scott Sattler will preview a massive Origin Game 3 decided tomorrow night. Yes, indeed. Big final hour coming up on the Sporting Capital. Appreciate you sticking with us. one 736 Call at any stage to have your say on just about anything you'd like uh, on the Harcourts open line. You'll move your Harcourts. You can text in 0433981116 on the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. Coming up as well in about 20 minutes' time, I'll play what David King had to say, the two-time North Melbourne champion, after David Noble and North Melbourne parted company today. Uh, but first, I uh, wanted to do something uh, a little bit like this. Uh, well, it was an exciting NBA draft from an Australian point of view, of course. Dyson Daniels taken inside the top 10, pick eight uh, to the New Orleans Pelicans. We had Luke Travers going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We had two NBL next stars in Usman Dieng and Hugo Besson being picked up. And right now, the NBA Summer League is taking place in Las Vegas. And we have a ton of Aussies who are in action with the invitation to come and play uh, for some of the NBA franchises and also a lot of NBL-connected players who are in action as well. So luckily, we have a man on the ground 
uh, does brilliant work. You would see him on all the major NBL game broadcasts uh, as an expert, as an analyst, as an NBL writer as well. He's on the ground in Las Vegas covering the Summer League. Liam Santa Maria, hello, mate. Hello, Sam. Good to be with you, mate. It's, um, it's hot here in the middle of the <laughs> desert, but um, always good to chat with you, my man. Very just slightly jealous that you've managed to wrangle this junket. Nicely done from your end. <laughs> <laughs> busy, busy, mate. Oh, I'm still from the crack of dawn yes. to when the well after the sun sets. <laughs> if someone has to do it, someone has to put their hand up and roll my sleeves up and say, "Oh, I'll get my hands dirty." Uh, you're a trooper. Hey, um, give us an insight into the, the tournament itself, and and for some who who just go, oh, you know, it's just a preseason, just a you know, a chance to, to get some games in before the season. It's much, much more than that, isn't it, the Summer League? It is an opportunity for those undrafted or who have been out of the NBA system to put their name up in lights, to put their hand up and to show what they might be capable of. Yeah, for, for many of those involved, it's massively important. Mm. Uh, for some who have maybe just got drafted super high draft picks, you know, they want to get a couple of games under their belt show what they can do and then enjoy the nightlife here in Las Vegas. And for all those NBA established NBA players, uh, they're not involved. Some of them pop their head in from time to time, have a look, um, hang out at some of the casinos. But, um, and, 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 of course, it's an off-season tournament, right? The, the championship was won not long, that, uh, long ago, the NBA draft recently, and then the Summer League rolls around in Las Vegas. But... As we just said, for those involved, those people on the, on the NBA fringe who are mm. desperately trying to win a two-way contract, get a training camp invite, see if they can take that next step in the achievement of a dream to play in the bright lights of the National Basketball Association, um, this is a big, big deal. And we've got, you know, we've had a number of, uh, you know, you've seen many stories over the years of guys who have had an opportunity to come and play at Summer League and uh, have never looked back. You think back to Tory Craig, NBL Defensive Player of the Year, back in 2017, got invited to come to Summer League, impressed for the Denver Nuggets, and he hasn't been an NBA player ever since, currently with the Phoenix Suns and doing really good things. So that's what a lot of these guys are trying to achieve, and uh, we've had a couple of Aussies who have had some standout performances so far. All right, let's go through them uh, one by one, and we'll start with Dyson Daniels, uh, pick eight. In the draft, as I mentioned earlier, at New Orleans Pelicans, it didn't get off to the ideal start, from what I understand. Certainly did not. Two minutes into the opening quarter of his first game, and they turned his ankle. Uh, highly reminiscent of, of Josh Giddy's summer league experience last year, and um, the, the Pelicans were back out again today, and Dyson was not on the floor. In fact, there's a really good chance he won't play again here in Las Vegas for the summer league. So. That's highly disappointing, but um, you know it's such an important uh, important piece for them. They're going to make you know no point in taking any risks. They know they have a high level player in in Dyson Daniels, and um, you know they're just going to make sure they get his ankle right and uh, you know get him ready for his debut season in the league. All right, next cab off the rank, and this is one surprised me that that he would actually be playing uh, is Josh Giddy, pick six. Last year um, was right in the hunt for Rookie of the Year honours before he got injured uh, late in the season. Um, I'm surprised that they're rolling him out. Do you understand what, what's the because he's dominating from what I've seen by the numbers? What's the reasoning for for putting him out uh, at this stage of the year? 
Yeah, it, it's a bit surprising to everyone, really. The kid just loves to play. Yeah. He just flat out loves to play, and he just, you know, he, he wanted to, to get out there and, and get amongst it. Um, you know, as I said before, he he got injured in, in his first summer league game last season and didn't play again. And, you know, there's a, like a, a bit of a track, man, up and down kind of vibe about these summer league games. They play right into the style that he enjoys. So... I think, you know, he's here in Las Vegas. The team is, is, is here. He's got a brand-new, exciting teammate in Chet Holmgren, the number two pick, and he's looking to establish a bit of on-court rapport with him. And he, so he's out there on the hardwood. Now, my understanding was they were going to... He played a couple of games uh, in the, the little pre-Las Vegas tournament in Salt Lake City. He came here to the Summer League and played their opening game. And my understanding was they were going to shut up shop with Josh Kitty after that one. But he chatted with me post game and said, uh, "I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for him to let me go again." And wow. uh, sure enough, uh, the Thunder, the Thunder stepped out again today and uh, got a got a win. And Josh Giddy was running the point guard spot and had a near triple double. So, but I expect that'll be it. I expect that's all we'll see from Josh for the rest of the tournament. But if he has his way, he'll be back out on the hardwood. Uh, it, I won't be surprised if um, in very quick time he is appointed captain uh, of the o- OKC. Um, that is phenomenal leadership from a guy that doesn't have to play to be putting his hand up to play. Uh, I love it. Um, mm. and that's, but that's typical uh, of Aussies. Um, we want to do the hard yards. Hey, uh, I saw that you had a chat uh, on social medias the other day. I saw this pop up that you were having a yarn to Luke Travers, Perth Wildcats, uh, and now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we've got a great history of Aussies with them. Of course, Matthew Deliver Dover, a champion uh, with the Cavs. Um, how's he rolling a couple of games in? Really well. Really well, Luke Travers. Um, yeah, he's, he's had two games. His first game was a stat sheet stuffing, spectacular performance. He had some points, he had some boards, he had a couple of dimes, but most, most impressively, he had seven combined steals and blocks. Um, and Ooh, yeah. he did it in a way where he was just, he was just active defensively. And I, I was really impressed by that because sometimes, I mentioned this on, on, on our, our video the other day, Sometimes guys can come to summer league and if they're not the point guard or they're not the big guy rolling to the rim, they can get stuck standing in the corner and not see the ball and not get involved. And uh, he did a great job of just finding ways to be impactful um, and, uh, you know, get a, get a piece of the rock. So uh, really impressive performance in that opening game. He, he backed that up with a solid one in game two, but he's developing a bit of a, a cult following here at the summer league and especially amongst the Cavaliers supporters in the house because of because of his look you yep. know he's got the oh, mullet, Moulet, he's flapping got the, uh, yep <laughs> he's got the little mustachio there's been comparisons to larry bird in terms oh, of yes. the look that he's putting out there on the floor and uh, everybody's getting around him so so far so good for luke travis geez wouldn't they have loved him at Indi- in indiana um obviously bird was a celtic but he's an indiana boy um yeah that would have been a, that would have been a great fit um Jack White. So this is a guy who NBA scouts would know very well. He was a Duke captain in Zion Williamson's year. Uh, he's come to Australia, missed out on United's championship with the injury. It was heartbreaking to see. Came back uh, as a force of nature in the back end of this NBL season. Grapped to see him um, getting a chance. How did he go for Denver? Well, his performance yesterday was incredible. 
He was a little quiet in his first game, uh, fresh off that, that, that uh, FIBA window with the Boomers mm. against China and Japan, where he played terrifically. But then he came out in, in game two. Now, he came off the bench and uh, just had an enormous impact. Eight points, 15 rebounds, if you don't mind, and three block shots. And um, the coach just couldn't take him off the floor. He spoke post-game and said, I played him extended minutes in the second half, A, because he deserved it, and B, because I wanted to win the game. And uh, that's the Jack White we know and love back in Australia because he, he heavily impacts on winning. So uh, there's a lot of buzz about Jack White yesterday. The, the Nuggets, there's the potential for, you know, they have an opening there as far as a two-way contract is concerned. Um, there's a few guys in the mix, and Jack White is very much at this stage one of them. Joe Luala was an interesting one. Uh, the announcement came that um, he was going to leave uh, Melbourne United uh, and look elsewhere. Uh, he had a brilliant, brilliant season um, in the NBL this year. Um, was right in the uh, MVP uh, calculations. He was all NBL first team, um, a most improved player finalist, an MVP finalist, uh, a finalist. Um, he's and you broke the story that he's going to be looking out uh, to see what might be on offer for him. He's got a call up to the summer league. How's he traveling? Uh, he hasn't had a breakout performance just yet. Two games from the Phoenix Suns so far. He's one of three NBL Australians uh, on that squad, along with Dwight Reese from Illawarra and Dion Vasiljevic from the Sydney Kings. And um, he's had some moments, Joe Lawal, but but hasn't had a breakout performance. He played some sort of garbage time, six or seven minutes in a, in a blowout victory the other day. He had six quick points. It flashed a little bit of what he can do. But I tell you, if he gets some significant run, he can do some damage here at Summer League and potentially send some heads. I mean, I watched him in 2019 in those NBL, NBA preseason games against the Clippers and Sacramento, and he looked very comfortable out there on the NBA floor. So I'm hoping that he gets a little bit of extended run in Phoenix's next game tomorrow and uh, shows a little bit of what he can do because um, he has an outstanding talent, as you said, and we saw that in the NBL last season in particular and um, you know, deserves a bit of a shot to show that here in Las Vegas. What about DJ Vasiljevic? Uh, three-point threat. They like three-point shooters. Do up Reith uh, is a boomer. Uh, bronze medalist as well with the uh, with the Aussie squad. How how have they been performing? Well, Dewat Reith was terrific in Phoenix's opening game, and um, he played his way up the rotation. They rolled him out as their starting five man in their second outing, but he turned his ankle a couple of minutes into that game yesterday, and he didn't return. So, X-rays are negative, I'm told, which is good news. Hopefully, he's back in uniform. In, uh, in the next couple of days. Um, but uh, that's a bit of a worry as far as what Reese is concerned, especially considering, you know, he's a free agent right now. There's NBL teams here, GMs and CEOs circling Duop Reese. The Hawks want him back. Other teams are keen to get onto him. He's looking at his NBA opportunities. Teams around Europe and Asia are also keen to Duop Reese. So he's an interesting situation right now. And Dion Vasiljevic, well, he hasn't been able to kind of get a, 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 a bunch of minutes on the floor yet to show what he can do. Similar to Joe Luwali, got some minutes late for the Suns yesterday, knocked down a catch-and-shoot triple, which, of course, is his trademark. Um, but he hasn't had a game where, you know, he's been in every quarter and 
being able to put some points on the board. So hopefully as the tournament opens up into its second week, he gets those kind of opportunities. Uh, Liam Santa Maria, NBL journalist, broadcaster, is over at the Las Vegas Summer League for the NBA. Um, there's a few NBL-connected uh, players as well. Justinium Jessup, Udai Barber, Vic Law, Dusty Hannes, amongst others. But a couple of other Aussies, Makua Makua and Akola Gak. Um, uh, Aussie players uh, showing their wares. Any news on them? Yeah, they're both playing for the Chicago Bulls. The Calder Gak, of course, with the Illawarra Hawks. McCoy Maker, an ex-star with the Sydney Kings last year. And um, Calder Gak had a nice little moment in the Bulls game yesterday. Catch and uh, caught it in the lane, threw it down with authority. And, you know, my partner in crime here, um, Joe Healy, spoke with him post-game and he said, oh, boy, I had a lot of emotions going through me mm. in that moment. I mean, these are young men who are on the doorstep of their dreams. Yeah, and they have a moment like that and they think, all right, that's another step forward for me to get where I want to be. So, um, yeah, hopefully, again, what often happens at the Summer League is, you know, the guys that are already contracted with with these teams um, that that were recently drafted and, you know, have been on the roster for a year or two, they get a whole bunch of run in the first couple of games. And then sometimes those players get shut down and then the, the... the minutes open up for other guys that are desperate for opportunities. So hopefully that's what happens here with McCool Maker and a colder gack with the Chicago Bulls. We could go on. There's so many uh, NBL-connected players over there, but we are running short of time. So I need to ask you how Aaron Baines' workouts went. Uh, he's in Vegas as well. Mm. Um, devastating that injury that occurred at the Olympics, the innocuous slip in the, in the, in the, in the bathroom. And we understand, we know what's happened since. He hasn't been able to get back out. And it's been a long, long recovery and rehab for Aaron Baines. And we love the big man. Any interest? I reckon there will be. Yeah, I don't have the scoop uh, per se, Sam, in terms of, uh, you know, the follow-up from the workout. But uh, it was just so good to see him out there. Impact basketball, the kind of, um, you know, basketball, the training facility here away from... The UNLV stadium was swarming with NBA uh, GMs, executives, scouts uh, there to get a look at, at Baines and, and uh, see him work out. And, you know, put a bit on display. He was shooting triples. He was uh, picking, rolling to the rim, finishing um, above the cup. So he showed a bit. He didn't show everything. They would, you know, he, he didn't get up and down. He didn't scrimmage or anything like that. But... Um, it was just great to see him out there on the hardwood. He looks trim and strong. Um, the Aaron Baines that we're used to seeing out on the court. So remarkable that he's recovered. I mean, he's the guy that had to learn how to walk again less than 12 months ago. Um, he suffered that injury. So it's a remarkable effort to get to this point. And, um, you know, his agent, Daniel Moldovan, was, was beaming from ear to ear, just seeing um, him back out on the floor and, and, you know, all the NBA interest that was there in the gym. Uh, big news today in the NBL. Uh, fingers crossed for Aaron Baines too. Hopefully we see him get picked up. Big news today in the NBL, of course, is the most successful franchise in history. Perth Wildcats have announced their new coach. You caught up with him in Vegas. He's been an assistant coach for the last several years at UC Santa Barbara. He was at Boise State. This is a uh, NBL champion in his own right uh, in 1988. John Rilly. Um, is going to be the Perth Wildcats' new coach. Um, what did you make of, of the appointment and, and your thoughts from your catch-up with him? Uh, yeah, I like the appointment. It's cool. I've been hoping that John really was going to get a, 
an opportunity to come back and be an NBL coach uh, over the last couple of years. I spoke to him, to him during the pandemic while he was over at Boise State, and uh, he said exactly that. I, that's sort of the next step in my career. And what was cool was then in the meantime, he got involved with the Boomers. Um, he was there with them at the Olympics as part of the coaching staff. He's been with them in their recent you know, FIBA uh, World Cup qualifications. And I think that in the end proved to be the bridge, the bridge required after doing really good things at the college level in the States uh, over the past decade or so. Um, he's been given this opportunity. Now, this is a guy now who... <laughs> he put some buckets on the Wildcats over the years. Those are Red Army. Those guys have long long memories over there. Hopefully they forgive and forget because really had some remarkable performances shooting against Perth. Now he's going to coach that team. Um, he didn't take long to make his way to Las Vegas once he got appointed because they have a couple of import spots to fill to finalise their roster and he was straight down to work after touching down yesterday. He was in the gym scouting, um, discussing things with his assistant coach, his GM of basketball and um, getting, uh, getting right to work. So excited to see what that, how that all plays out for the Wildcats as they try to get back into the postseason. Absolutely. Uh, a champion with the 36ers in 1998, almost 500 NBL games. And, of course, he was at college at Gonzaga, which is a massive school, and Tacoma CC before that. He's coached at the college level. Boys, he stayed, as I mentioned, as an assistant, UC Santa Barbara. And now uh, the Wildcats have got a good one, uh, we reckon. Hey, there's so much we haven't even been able to get to, uh, but I've got to let you go, Liam. Um, is there another name? And we've got Boomers that have played tonight against Jordan. But... Um, was there another name you wanted to throw up that we haven't covered that you think people should keep an eye on that could be um, have, could have done enough to find themselves onto an NBA list from maybe some of the guys we haven't talked about yet? Um, I think we've probably covered the guys that are right on the, on that fringe. I mean, Jack White's the one who's probably closest right now of, of the Aussies that are that are here in Las Vegas, but. You know, what's interesting from, from my perspective is it's not just what's going on, happening on the court. It's what's happening off the court that's interesting here as well because almost every NBL team is represented here. They've got coaches, GMs. Dean Vickerman from Melbourne United just arrived yesterday. He was in the gym today. They're looking for import. Their roster situation is is a bit tricky. You know, Matt, are they going to lose Matthew Delavadova to the Sacramento Kings? Are they going to lose Jack White to the Denver Nuggets? They've got um, some, some things to play out and some, some imports to sign. So, uh, geez, there's a lot going on over here on and off the floor, and that's just in the arena. You better give us an update on Delhi. I see his name on my list here, and I've completely skimmed him, and I'm, I'm going to give myself an uppercut for doing so. But how's he been tracking with Sacramento? Well, not sure because he's been practicing with them, hasn't been playing with their summer league ah. team. You know, he's kind of well beyond summer league. But yep. behind closed doors, he's been practicing with the squad. And, um, you know, he's trying to earn himself a spot uh, in their last couple of spots that they've got free on their roster. Say, hey, you know what? You want some championship uh, experience, a veteran presence as a third or fourth string point guard? I'm your man. And um, that's the opportunity that he's got to come out there and, and practice with the group. Um, interestingly, hot off the press, I actually got word that uh, last night that he has flown back quickly back to Australia. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the Sacramento Kings have told him, do you know what? Go back, 
sort your affairs because we need you back on deck uh, in a week or interesting, so. Interesting, interesting. Has he been given? Has he been told that it's time? You know, Tata, it's time to to head back. Thanks for your time. Not sure, but my understanding is he's no longer here in Las Vegas. He's made his way back home to Australia and uh, watch this space to see how it plays out. Dropping bombshells to finish off. That's why you are the best. Liam Santa Maria on the ground in Las Vegas covering the NBA Summer League, mate. Thank you. And go and enjoy your night off here. There's a bit to do in Vegas. <laughs> see, see what you can get up to. That's the plan, mate. Off to the Bellagio. Love it. Beautifully done, Liam Santa Maria, reporting in Las Vegas on the NBA Summer League and how our troops are travelling over there. Uh, the Boomers tonight uh, in the FIBA Asia Cup had a comfortable 18-point win, 78-60 to 60 over Jordan. They've got Saudi Arabia on Thursday night and then Indonesia, uh, Thursday Arvo and Indonesia on Saturday night. Uh, when we come back, David King, the two-time uh, Premiership Roo, uh, gave his take on what occurred today with David Noble and North Melbourne going their separate ways. We will hear from Kingy on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital SEN. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Is it the right decision to part ways with David Noble? Um, you know what I think it is? And it's it's brutal, it's hard, but I think that when you look at the direction of the club, the development that uh, is lacking, the progression in terms of the game plan, um, it's a tough call, but it's... but. 35, 38 games in, as brutal as it is, he hasn't been the man for the role. Now, you can you can take whatever angle you like and you can go back as far as the day he was appointed or you can go to, you know, the start of the year where Todd Goldstein starts on the bench for round one and he's your 300-game he's your ruckman who's going to show the way. You can talk about dropping the, you know, the new recruit after one game at the start of the year. I think there's been a few errors along the way. And you can talk about the way they were spoken to after a Brisbane game or does he apologise, does he... There's a, there's a few little speed humps and you can't have speed humps when you're in this phase. So I think that David would concede that at a time where he had to be absolutely bulletproof, he wasn't. And, and in the end, the wins and losses get you. Two-time Premiership Rue and our very own David King on AFL 360 on Fox Footy earlier on this evening. Uh, about David Noble and North Melbourne ending their relationship after um, 34, uh, 38. Jeez, I've been saying it all night. 38 games, mental blank there, after just 38 games um, into a rebuild and into his coaching tenure. Um, 0433 16 to have your say on that, or one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Interesting that a few people are pointing to the fact that maybe bringing Jason Horn Francis back through the twos could have been the last straw or a straw that broke the camel's back. I don't particularly subscribe to that, but interesting what Leon Cameron had to say on uh, AFL Nation um, about that particular decision to bring Jason Horn Francis' number one draft pick back through the Magoos. And so having young, you know, Jason Horn Francis that plays in the reserves today is not the end of the world. Mm. It's not the end of the world. Even though I understand the, the, the build-up of the North Melbourne Footy Club in the past month has been massive in terms of 
you know, media speculation. Where's the coach at? Jeff Walsh is at the footy club. You know, what's going wrong? We've lost 13 in a row, over 45 points. All these sort of things are going on. It takes a brave coach to do that when he's under an enormous amount of scrutiny. And and if Andy's reporting is right that he's playing some good footy at the lower level, then, then it's hit the mark. Mm. It's hit the mark because... You, what you ultimately want is um, him to come back in. He'll come back in next week, no doubt. And then all of a sudden, he's learned something that probably he never would have learned if you just brought him straight back in. Uh, incredibly wise is Leon Cameron. And if you were going to look at anyone to take on this role, that's the first place I'd be looking. Hey, on the other side of this, massive Game 3 decider. State of Origin tomorrow night. You'll hear it on SEN. Our man Scott Sattler will take us through the ins and outs and the build-up to... What is going to be, I think, an all-timer decider. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, well, I don't think there's many greater sporting spectacles in this country than state of origin in rugby league. This, and certainly not when it goes to a game three decider at Suncorp Stadium. The last time the Blues were able to get a win in a decider at Suncorp or Lang Park, as the traditionalists know it as, 2005, and they needed an immortal to get the job done in Joey Johns. There are injury worries uh, for Queensland. There are injury worries for New South Wales, and it's often in the times of despair uh, that origin legends are born. And there are so many great stories of players picking themselves up out of their sick bed. Trevor Gilmeister uh, back in the day, uh, players overcoming injury, players debuting in a manner that no one saw coming. So the stage is set for another great origin story to occur and to maybe shine a light on what that story might be. One of our favourites, a man that represented the Maroons as well. He's a premiership winner with the Panthers and you'll hear him on the coverage tomorrow night on SEN of the State of Origin Game 3 decider in Queensland. Scotty Sattler, hello, mate. Sammy, you could not sum, have summed up origin any better. It is a, it's a real field of dreams. It's, it's one of those occasions that I know a lot of other sports are envious of, and it's one of those sports also, one of those matches that doesn't matter where you're about to play your first game, like Jacob Saifidi and Tommy Deidner are about to do tomorrow night, and could end up making a debut of their lifetime that we talk about for 20 or 30 years. It comes down to also the players that have played 20, 22, 23 origins and show that experience means everything in big games, and, and maybe they're the player that comes up with the big moment. So Cam Munster, this is the big story, um, won't play, uh, tested positive for COVID on a PCR test on Saturday. And this guy can lay claim to being probably one of the top couple of players uh, in rugby league. We saw that he turned the game and, and essentially won the game for Queensland in game one, had a quiet game two. New South Wales did their homework. They made it difficult for him. He couldn't have an impact on the game. Um, but without him there, that is a massive impact. Felice Kafusi is out. Five ins, but I want to speak first and foremost about the debutant. Uh, started at the Broncos, now at the Cowboys, who was second on the ladder. Tommy Dearden, what a baptism of fire for him to come in at Suncorp. Game three with the series on the line and New South Wales in red-hot form after giving Queensland a touch-up in game two. Doesn't get much more difficult. Will the young man rise to the occasion? Well, he has to. He has to, Sammy. There's no question about it. Uh, you can't just ease your way into origin matches. You've got to go at breakneck speed and you've got to be able to compete from the very first involvement. 
the good part is about Tommy Dearden, and not a lot of people know a lot about Tommy Dearden, and, he, and he's got an amazing background. He's got a, a great DNA in country rugby league. His, his uncle was a tremendous player. Uh, has played first grade in New South Wales rugby league, and has got a really, he's got a real tough, real tough character characteristics about the family. So, the toughness and what's expected at Origin won't be a problem. Then you talk about what is really big in Origin, and it's defensive efforts. You have to be a really good defender to play Origin, and that's one of his greatest assets is is his defensive game for a small man. So, he'll handle everything. He's just got to handle the occasion. So. He's just got to do his job and allow guys like Daly Cherry Evans and Caelan Ponger, those more experienced players, to, to worry about coming up with the big plays. And so Tommy Dearden, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. Will he start off the bench? Will they put Ben Hunter 5'8", start Harry Grant at hooker? No, I don't think Billy will change too much. I think he likes that one-two punch he's getting from the hooking position with, with Hunt and uh, Harry Grant. And I think Tommy Dearden will just be told to make your tackles, run when you need to, get a kick downfield now and then, and just don't make a mistake. So he'll handle the occasion okay. It's, it's how he handles it emotionally is going to be the biggest challenge. And physically. Um, every You will be able to attest to this, and every player that I've ever spoken to um, that has been able to, to play on this stage says that there's nothing as physical. Not an NRL grand final, not representing your country. There's nothing as physical as an origin game. Well, there's no weakness. You know, usually when you're playing an NRL game, you can identify some weaknesses in the opposition and you can try and focus on those weaknesses. In origin, there's no weakness because you've got all the best players all in the field at the same time. So, And he's one of those now. So, <coughs> I apologise for that. Um, but he's, you know, it's the, the players, for some reason, they're bigger and faster. You played against them during the weeks, but for some reason, they're faster in origin, and you've got to get used to the speed really quickly. Take us through a couple of the other ends for Queensland before we turn our attention <laughs> to, to New South Wales. Scotty Sattler? Oh, uh, well, you've got Corey Oates, who's played a lot of origin. Yep. Very good player, very experienced, and will handle the occasion yeah, quite easily, actually. And he's a real go-to player, actually, for the Queensland kickers especially. So good under the high ball. So mm. he's a really good battle against between him and Daniel Tupo. And if he gets one out, too, I mean, he's the size of a front rower, is Corey Oates. You don't want to be the last man on the line with him coming at you full steam. If he if he gets some space and there's only one to beat, you can bet your bottom dollar he's going over. Exactly, and that's what he's great at. He's great at that physicality because he's six foot four and is a really quick man, too, and playing his best rugby league at the moment for the Brisbane Broncos. So... I think Queensland are stronger with Murray Taralungi being out, with all due respect to the young guy that made his debutant in game two. But with Corey Oates coming in, they don't lose anything at all there. So, um, And Josh Papalee is the big story. You know, hasn't played a lot of minutes in game one and two. Is really an enforcer for Queensland with, with his partner in crime, Christian Welsh, out. So he needs to step up in game three, and he needs to prove to his Queensland teammates and the Queensland fans that, that he is still the most intimidating front rower in the competition. Um, with Cam Munster being ruled out, uh, Murray uh, Talagi, as, as you mentioned, so we're going to have um, the, the magnets being shifted. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge for, for Billy Slater 
in his first year at the helm, and he's got his assistants, Cam Smith and Jonathan Thurston. It's almost the holy trinity. Um, uh, what's the biggest yeah. challenge for him? Uh, he's interchanged, using that correctly. Uh, if his team doesn't, if a Queensland don't get off to a good start and start winning that that battle in the middle of the field, because it is going to be an all-out war. Yeah, it's going to be one of the most physical state of origins, which, which I don't think you could, if anyone could think you could get a more physical game from game one and game two. There's so much more at stake now that it's one all. So he's got to get the interchange right. So if he's not winning the battle in the early parts of the game, he's got to be able to make the right replacement at the right time so they can change the intensity of the game. They did that in game one, Queensland, going really well, leading 12-8 in game two until the sin bidding for Felice Kafusi before half time. So they don't have to change too much, Queensland. Don't get anyone sin bin, they're in the game. So if they're going to win the game, Queensland, it's going to be about how he uses the interchange and just defensive efforts. Queensland have got to win the game, you know, 18-16. It's got to be on the back of some amazing you know, defensive plays. For New South Wales, they've got some issues at prop. So Payne Haas out. They bring in Clint Gutherson, Jack Whiten, uh, Jacob Saifidi, Jordan McLean, uh, Reese Robson. Um, that's a bit of an issue with Payne Haas injured. And then his likely replacement, Jordan McLean, injured his hammy last week. Um, he, he was in line for an origin debut at 31. So do they go Junior Palo or is it uh, Jacob Saifidi? Um, how, how are you seeing this? Yeah, I think I'll go Junior Bolo. I, he intimated during the week in an interview, I think he might have let it slip that he can't wait to get out there from the kickoff. And he might be playing playing a few games, but, um, you know, led to believe that Junior Bolo will start along with um, Jake Trebojevic. And J- uh, Jacob Saifidi um, will come off the bench as a debutant. Now, yeah, as a front rower, I think you'd want to be involved. Well, every player wants to be involved from the first tackle, but especially as a front rower, you want to be be involved and, and be physical straight away. And if you're there as a debutant, oh, I know, being a debutant, you sit on the bench and and you you just count the you count the, the seconds down until you get on, and the nerves build even further. And before before you know it, you get out there and you, you don't know whether you know what role you play. Are we winning the battle? Are we losing the battle? What have I got to do? Um, so for Jacob Saifidi, if he doesn't start the game, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a long wait. I think that Payne Haas, we haven't spoken about that enough. I think leading in this game, the loss of Payne Haas is a significant one. Now, a lot of people have said Payne Haas hasn't dominated at Origin level. I disagree. I think he's consistently been one of New South Wales' best forwards, um, and I think he's the best front rower in the competition. So. Um, He's a huge out pain house from a, a mobility and a yep. physicality point of view. Scotty Sattler with us on the Sporting Capital. I think I might have incorrectly said Gutherson, White and Saifidi, McLean, Robson out. Uh, the in was what I should have said there. But, hey, from a, a New South Wales point of view, Sats, one of their greatest strengths is the fact that, and it's been really smart from Freddie Fittler, he's just said, well, the best team in the competition right now are the Penrith Panthers, the, the reigning premiers. They've got... Um, an abundance of their players in this lineup, so their cohesion, their connectivity, was just on 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 out and out display, especially in game two. I thought I thought that was a real advantage that they were able to exploit. Will it be as easy for them this time around to get that same connectivity and to be able to flow like they? I felt like I was watching a Panthers game for a lot of game two, the way they combined. 
Well, you cut down on your preparation when you've got combinations. That's what's so important at origin level. Mm. When you've got nine or ten days to prepare and you bring a lot of players in that basically they live together day in, day out. You've got to remember, Penrith Panthers travelled to Brisbane last year to Suncorp Stadium to beat South Sydney in the biggest game of the NRL season. So, you know, they're used to playing in, well, unfamiliar territory in big games. So they won't be overawed. But the difference with origin and the grand final is half the fans are your fans. They make you feel welcome. At Suncorp Stadium, there's 52,500. And I think there'll probably be 48,000 of them will be Queensland fans. And when you play the opposition home ground, the ground seems smaller. The crowd seems as though it's in your face. Joey Don spoke the other day about it didn't matter how many origins he played when you run out on the Suncorp Stadium. I've never felt the actual the crowd slap you in the face with their noise mm. and your whole body shakes internally yep. and how intimidating it can get. So the Penrith Panthers players, yes, they're used to playing in big games together. Yeah, they know each other back to front. And yes, they'll they'll fall into the game a lot quicker than what a lot of origin players will who haven't played a lot of origin. But still, it's it's unfamiliar territory in an origin decider, um, which, you know, if we're in these scenarios, Sammy, and we were playing at Suncorp Stadium this origin, I would feel as though New South Wales might win comfortably, but that's how significant Suncorp Stadium yeah. slash Lang Park can be in, in such a big game. It, it's, I'm so glad you said it, Scott. I've had the, the, the absolute pleasure of being at Suncorp for a couple of origins, uh, including uh, an origin decider. And, I would say to anyone that hasn't, and, and if rugby league's not your, your sport, but if you want a bucket list, um, must see and must experience Australian sporting events, you have to go to, to Origin. Yep, absolutely. You need to be at an Origin game. But if you can, get to an Origin decider at Suncorp and, and then you'll fully understand what Sats is talking about. It is an environment like no other. It is um, as consuming uh, as an environment as I can remember sitting in, it's just a must-do. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, mate, before I let you go, this, as I said before, this has just got the feel about it is we're going to get another folklore moment. And I, funnily enough, on the weekend, I was commentating um, North Melbourne and Collingwood, and there's a young bloke playing for Collingwood called Bo McCreary who isn't very tall, but he's one of the strongest players on their list. And he ragged older player by the collar, a la the raging bull Gordon Tallis over Brett Hodgson in the early 2000s <laughs> at Suncorp. And I started yelling out Rabs as, look at Tallis. And I, I absolutely got swept up in the moment. It feels like this Origin's going to give us another folklore moment. Where do you think it's coming from? If it comes from New South Wales, uh, either way, I think it's going to be the number seven. I think it's going to be a new... A, a, a Nathan Cleary field goal yep. or a, a Daly Cherry Evans field goal to ice the game, whether that's in Golden Point. I can't even imagine, Sammy, what Suncorp Stadium and Caxton Street is going to be like <laughs> if this goes to Golden Point. I mean, it'll, yes. they'll tear the place down. I mean, Brad Fittler addressed it with his players today. Apparently, he's been addressing it for a number of days, and, but most importantly today, he's talking about this aura of, of deciders at Suncorp and how Queensland have won 10 of the last, eight of the last 10 deciders um, in origin. And his basic message to the New South Wales team is they can't jump the fence to fans. It's illegal. So don't be fearful of what's in the stands because that's as close as they can get to you. If this goes to Golden Point, 
I'm sorry, Freddie's going to be wrong because I think the Queensland fans will jump the fence. And I think Daly Cherry Evans kicked a field goal or Nathan Cleary kicked a field goal to ice the game. Scott Sattler on the Sporting Capital. You'll hear him as part of our magnificent call team that will bring you all the action of the Game 3 decider at Suncorp Stadium tomorrow night from 7 p.m. on SEN. You can get it on the app as well on SEN Fanatics. So just make sure you check sen.com.au to find out where you can tune in from in your part of Australia and the world. We're global. Uh, we'll wrap it up on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital. one 736 736 Time for a final call or a final text. 0433981116 off the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, it always blows me away how brilliant the calls are and the text are that we get uh, from you. So I can't thank you enough for flicking those through all throughout the course uh, of the evening. It's been a big four hours, but if you missed any of the show, whether it be the Macca's Run or the Sporting Capital, uh, you can get it on the podcast. Uh, the guests we've had tonight have been sensational. Russell Arnold uh, to just take us through how significant the Sri Lankan win over Australia was in the second test. Uh, and what it meant to a country that is going through some really tough times uh, at the moment. And what cricket can do just to give a bit of sunshine on some dark days. Um, Scotty Sattler, brilliant as course, setting up Origin Game 3 for us for tomorrow night. And Liam Santa Maria joined us uh, from Las Vegas uh, with a lot of Aussies and NBL-affiliated players uh, trying to find their way onto NBA rosters uh, at the NBA Summer League at the moment. And his big scoop that Matthew Delavadova, who had been training and working out with the Sacramento Kings, has flown back to Melbourne. And he believes it means one of two things. One, he's been locked in by the Sacramento Kings. Or two, he hasn't. And we might see him here again next year for Melbourne United. I'll see you again on Thursday night. Enjoy Origin tomorrow night. Thanks again for all your calls, all your texts, and for JK to putting the show together. Have a great night. Stay safe. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.